And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Ready to tell three on this Monday as we kickstart another week with plenty to get to over the next few hours. Coming up, it's official. Gigi Jackson on his way to Columbia. Well, staying home and going to the Gamecocks. Who will have the greater impact, Spencer Rattler or Gigi Jackson? Plus, ESPN released their top 10 in college football they ranked all the teams this year for college football we'll get to that we'll touch on bill barnwell's list on espn.com of the best skill set rosters in the nfl and what the list tells us about football plus it is list season mike sando put out his ranking on the athletic where executives rank all the quarterbacks in tiers some takeaways from that coming up. We'll have some NFL quarterback over-unders we'll get to about an hour from now. Which actor is the hardest to understand? Some thoughts on the Atlanta Braves, on the news about the Tennessee football program, and a whole lot more over the next few hours. we got a lot to get to. Where they till three, you can join the conversation throughout. 843-721-9500. To give us a call. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter, at Morrow Middays. On Facebook, at ESPN Charleston. Via email, studio, at kirkmanbroadcasting.com. Or online, at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there and click on our show page, where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there. Or you can even take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Wait until 3 on this Monday. Trent's on the steel wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? Luke, I'm doing good, my man. It was a great weekend. It was nice for a little bit. would rain a little bit here and there, but it's good to have that kind of balance. Uh, the UFC was great this weekend. Track mm. was great this weekend. So we did have some sports going on and woke up to some new sad news about none other than Kevin Durant potentially going to a rival of my favorite NBA team. But besides that, Luke Morrow, it's a great Monday right here on the Morrow Midday Show. Yeah, sure is. And we'll see if the Celtics make a move for Durant. We continue to wait on that. In the meantime, Gigi Jackson, you want to talk about a different basketball star, he made his decision, made the announcement official over the weekend by committing to South Carolina. It's an exciting time for Gamecock fans. Right? You get Spencer Rattler in the football program. You now have Gigi Jackson coming into the basketball program. Rattler's the highest-rated quarterback South Carolina has ever brought in. Gigi Jackson's the highest-rated anything the Gamecocks basketball program has ever brought in. So there's a lot of reason to be optimistic, despite both teams essentially being 500 a year ago. Now you bring in a star in basketball. Basketball is all about stars. You bring in a quarterback in football. 
football's become all about quarterbacks. Those are the biggest stars. So if you're a Gamecock fan, there's plenty of reason to be optimistic and excited about the future. Which one of those two will have the bigger impact, Gigi Jackson or Spencer Rattler? Individually, I would say Gigi Jackson. Now, he's believed to be one and done. I do have a little bit of concern over that. There was a, you know, there's a reason why he didn't want to reclassify originally, and he didn't think that physically he'd be ready for the NBA now or a year from now. And that's also the thought on him from guys who scout these kids. Now, he's still a young kid, physically hasn't grown into his body yet. Then you go into the SEC. You're going to be playing for the Gamecocks where he'll be able to be a bigger star than he would be at UNC. But a year from now, will he be on his way to the NBA? We'll see. There is some concern about just simply the body size. But he's believed to be one and done. And in basketball, one guy can make all the difference. You get a LeBron James, it changes everything. Now you add uh, Kevin Durant on the could be on the move this offseason. Wherever he goes, it's probably going to be a good team. That's why he wants to go there. But if you put Durant on a certain roster with not a ton of help around him, I mean, that's what Brooklyn's idea was originally just Kyrie. And they got Durant and Kyrie, but then Kyrie wasn't playing. It was just Durant last year in the playoffs. You add one guy, it can make all the difference. You need just one star on the team in basketball. They could change everything for you. In football, Spencer Rattler could be the most talented guy ever. He still needs help from those around him to be successful. You have to block for him. You have to have good wide receivers. A running game would help. Play calling. Coaching is more important than football than any other sport. You know, a good defense certainly helps the quarterback as well. Football, as we always say, it's the ultimate team game. Basketball, it's more about stars than any other sport. Even baseball, you put A-Rod in the lineup, yeah, it doesn't make a big difference. You put LeBron in the lineup, suddenly that team goes from last place to the NBA Finals. I'm not telling you Gigi Jackson is going to lead the Gamecocks to an SEC championship, but you get that one player in the short term, it could make, if they're a big enough star, could make all the difference. Doesn't always work that way, right? Ask Ben Simmons, ask Markel Fultz at Washington, so on and so forth. But just in general, the basketball player has a better chance of being successful on their own at any program than the quarterback does. Gigi Jackson's believed to be a top pick in the draft a year from now. We don't know about Spencer Rattler. We assume, but he's going to have to play well enough this year. We thought a year ago Spencer Rattler would be the number one pick in the draft. Didn't even go drafted. Right? Was undrafted. Had to tra- change schools. He's still in college. We'll see a year from now if he, too, will be considered as a first-round pick. But from a program perspective, right? because that's individually, from a program perspective, who could have the greater impact? I think it would be Spencer Rattler. The idea is that for Gigi Jackson, it's more about what he's going to do for the program after he leaves, what he's going to do for them in the future, that he leads to all sorts of other great recruits. And these are a couple of points I've been on for a few weeks now that I always make in this conversation. But let's talk about that idea, that one player leads to a big recruiting change for a college basketball program. Because in recent years, if you go back just the past five years, there's a lot of examples that go against that thought, against that theory. Whether it was Anthony Edwards at Georgia, or Cade Cunningham at Oklahoma State, or Jalen Brown went to Cal, or Ben Simmons to LSU, or Lonzo Ball to UCLA, or uh, Darius Garland at Vanderbilt, Markel Fultz at Washington. Most of those coaches have already been fired, and those programs did not see a huge climb in recruiting. It really had no impact in recruiting a few years later. Remember for South Carolina, they made it to a Final Four a couple years ago. The recruiting saw no boost. They haven't been to the tournament since. Usually teams that get to the Final Four, it's free publicity. It's a great marketing campaign. You get more applications to the school. Guys want to go play there. They see, hey, this is a pretty good basketball program. 
made no difference. Do we think G.G. Jackson coming in, and if the team's you know slightly better but still not at the top of the SEC, does that make a huge difference? In theory, yes. We like to think so. That's always the belief. We always say that. When you go back and you look, right, in practice, it hasn't really been the case the last few years. Additionally, the other point I have made in this whole process, not to be a wet blanket, you know, dousing you with cold water in your excitement of G.G. Jackson, because, look, it's a huge get for South Carolina. I should have said that off the top. Anytime you can get a talent like that, you're going to take him. He'll make your team better just by simply being there. Absolutely. You don't turn him away, but these would be the concerns. Number one, the theory, the idea that he leads to more talent down the road hasn't always been proven true. In fact, more often than not, it probably has been proven to be untrue. The other part of this that would be my concern is for Lamont Paris in his first year, and it's something that I've discussed the last couple weeks as well. When you come in as a first-time head coach and now you add a talent like Gigi Jackson, there's pressure on you from day one. No more learning curve. No time to try to build a culture. Don't wait until ah, year three when he gets his guys in here. No, you just got, depending on where you look, one of the top two players in the country. You better be pretty decent this year. And then it better lead to better recruits down the road. Maybe an impossible standard you're going to hold Lamont Paris to because that usually doesn't work. But you're going to say, right after Gigi Jackson, you're going to expect more guys like this or close to it. Keep the top talent in the state. It only increases the pressure on Lamont Paris. And I've given you examples in the past, most notably from the professional sporting rings. But in the NBA, somebody like David Blatt was hired at the Cavs, first-time job coaching basketball here in the States. And then LeBron comes back, Blatt's fired after a year and a half. No more learning curve. You have to win right away. And he was winning, just not enough. Jason Kidd comes to Brooklyn, first-time head coach right off the floor. Then they trade for Garnett and Pierce. We better go compete for a championship. They did not. He was gone after one year. They thought, ah, maybe he's in over his head. Steve Nash has been on the hot seat pretty much since day one in Brooklyn. No learning curve. He's never been a head coach before. doesn't matter. You have Durant. You have Kyrie. you got to go win a championship. We see it a lot in the NFL. A coach comes in with a top-end quarterback, and you think this guy's got to win right away. It doomed Lane Kiffin with the Raiders because his quarterback was Jamarcus Russell. But because he was the first overall pick, expectations were high. Trevor Lawrence, who knows if he's going to work out in the NFL. But because he was the number one pick, and he's this generational talent, and Urban Meyer is a great college coach, you put him together in Jacksonville. I fell for it. I thought this team could be pretty good in year one. They were a disaster. Steve Wilkes got fired after one year in Arizona. Josh Rosen didn't work out, but he was a top ten pick. And many thought, yeah, this team should be better. Brandon Staley, if he doesn't do well this year, will probably be fired after just two years because his quarterback, Justin Herbert, is one of the best in the league. you got to win more, regardless if you've never been a head coach before. Mike McDaniel will find that out in Miami. you got plenty of talent, and it may be more about Tua. Tua may not be the answer, but you know who it falls on? The head coach. And if Miami isn't successful, there's already rumors. Mike McDaniel hasn't even coached a game yet. There's already rumors about, hey, Sean Payton will be interested in this job a year from now. Why don't we give the guy you just hired a chance to coach at least a preseason game first? When you bring in that talent, the pressure ramps up immediately on that coach. And for a first-time coach, there goes their learning curve. They better win from day one. There's a lot of pressure on them. Those are the concerns now for the Gamecocks when you bring in a G.G. Jackson. You never turn down the talent. You're excited you have him. But the two uh, concerns would be, does not always lead to better recruiting? And it puts more pressure on the coach. Now, getting back to the original question of who has the greater impact. Well, in basketball, I just laid out my concerns. When it comes to football, we do have more proof in the idea of a quarterback leading to more good, good quarterbacks coming to your program. Because basketball is more of an independent sport. You can really go anywhere. 
and shine. You could turn yourself into an NBA player. You could go to the G League. You could go overseas. doesn't matter. If you're good enough, the NBA will draft you a year from now. Football, a little bit different. Every once in a while, we get a great quarterback from, like, an unknown school. You get Kurt Warner bagging groceries and playing in the Arena League. Every once in a while. But that's the outlier. Every once in a while, you get a guy from FCS football. You get a guy in the fourth round, and he ends up being something special. But usually when it comes to football, it's not you know going all over the world and getting these guys from NFL Europe and other countries or the CFL or even the XFL, the AAF. Basketball is a more independent sport that if you're good enough, maybe you watch that movie Hustle, and I know it's just a movie. Right? But Adam Sandler found the star at a park in like Spain at a pickup court. Basketball is just you can shine on your own. It's an individual sport. You see a guy shooting around in the gym. You think, wow, this guy's something. Football, a little bit different. And in football, coaching has the greater impact. The schedule has a big role. The pieces around you make you look better or worse. And when you look at schools in the past, Oklahoma is the classic example I always use, that they went from one good quarterback after another. It all kind of started with Josh uh, Heupel. It was a Heisman in the Heisman contention, and then you lead to Jason White, who wins the award, and then you know Sam Bradford and uh, Landry Jones. And then in recent years, the better example at Oklahoma was what Lincoln Riley was doing. Everybody wanted to transfer in there because they saw this is a quarterback factory. He's going to turn me into a Heisman winner and a first-round pick. Clemson's gone through this a little bit in recent years as well. I guess you could give maybe Taj Boyd the original credit. But then once you get a Deshaun Watson in there, they've been getting all the top quarterbacks ever since. Now suddenly Clemson becomes a realistic option for a top-end quarterback to go there, have success, be developed into a star quarterback and an NFL draft pick. Suddenly now you can trust that school that they can handle you. They know what it's like to have a top-end quarterback talent come in, make them better, turn them into an NFL player. Basketball, a little bit different. You may see that. You may see like, wow, Washington turned Markel Fultz into the top pick. But you could still go anywhere else. And if you're good enough, you too will be a top pick. You're not as dependent on going to that certain school, playing for a Lincoln Riley, wanting to be in that coach's offense against that schedule, playing in the Big 12 where it's very offensive, or Clemson where they dominate the ACC, a little bit different in football. And South Carolina has never had an all-conference quarterback in the SEC or a quarterback go in the first round. Spencer Rattler can try to open those doors if he plays well enough this year. And maybe most important in this whole conversation, we know quarterback is the more important position. It's the most important position in sports. You can't do anything in football if you don't have a quarterback. Why the Gamecocks have struggled in recent years. Quarterback play has not been good enough. It's the reason why you're excited right now. If Spencer Rattler did not transfer into this program, you'd still have some excitement. The team went 7-6 and six last year with four different quarterbacks, won a bowl game. But I'd also say if the team was 3-9 and nine last year and then got Spencer Rattler this offseason, you'd probably still be pretty excited, even though the team wasn't all that good last year. Why? Because now you have a quarterback. It's not so much about what they did or didn't do last year. It's more about what they can do now that they have Spencer Rattler. When it comes to Clemson, what are the big concerns now for people like me and others? Well, it's because of the quarterback. It hasn't been good enough. That's the only concern with Clemson. We know the defense is going to be good. We know the conference may not be good enough. You know, Dabo obviously has proven himself to be a good coach. We don't know about the quarterback. It's all about the quarterback. In college basketball, we've seen teams win without stars. In fact, nowadays, the one-and-dones, those teams aren't having the most success. It's the teams with the most veterans. In football, you need that quarterback. And once you get that quarterback, hopefully it opens the door for more. Where in college basketball, we've seen, usually doesn't work out that way. You get one top-end recruit, it doesn't suddenly open the door for all the others to come in either. So individually, I think Gigi Jackson could have the better career at South Carolina because it doesn't matter who's around him. 
The team, like Anthony Edwards, right? Georgia won like eight games, and he was the number one pick. doesn't matter. South Carolina could be in last place in the SEC. But Gigi Jackson could still average 25 points a game and be a top pick. Spencer Rattler kind of goes hand-in-hand, his success with the team. The offensive line's not good enough. The weapons aren't good enough. The play calling, the schedule's too tough, whatever it may be. He's going to struggle. The team's going to struggle. He's not going to have as good of a career here. But if he does play well, he could have a bigger impact on his program, the football side of things, than Gigi could have in basketball. You could open that door for future quarterbacks, which really changes everything for the football program. Certainly an exciting time for the Gamecocks right now. Hey, speaking of quarterbacks, when we come back, Bill Barnwell put out his annual list last week on ESPN.com where he ranked the top rosters in terms of running backs, tight ends, wide receivers. We'll look at that list when we come back, and I'll give you the major takeaway from Barnwell's ranking last week. The more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Diane's debutante backseat. Oh, Jackie's come. Sucking on chili dog. Outside taste freeze. Diane sitting on Jackie's lap. Got his hands between the knees. Jackie say, hey, Diane, let's run off behind the shade of trees. Dribble off those Bobby Brooks. Let me do. Coming up, let's talk about the skill positions in the NFL. Tomorrow, Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Open the show talking about Gigi Jackson, making it official. We knew it was going to happen. We had Mike Yuva on the show, what, a week ago today. And he said, yeah, it probably won't happen until the weekend. And sure enough, that's when it occurred as he waited for that tournament to be done with. Then can make his uh, official determination and commit to the Gamecocks. We opened the show talking about who would have the greater impact. Gigi Jackson or Spencer Rattler? Speaking of quarterbacks, Bill Barnwell put out his ranking. He does it every year around this time where he ranks NFL rosters based off of the skilled players. Now, if you're not one of these positions, you probably take offense to that term. But we consider wide receiver, running back, tight end as the skilled positions. So this is not looking at quarterback, offensive line, coach, defense, whatever. This is looking at the weapons. You drop a quarterback into a team, which team has the best weapons, excluding offensive line the top five bill barnwell ranked the Bengals number one raiders number two the 49ers were third the vikings fourth and the buccaneers fifth the bottom five on this list 28th was the jaguars 29th the packers 30th the giants 31's the bears and last on the list last in the league the texans has the worst weapons locally If you were curious, the Atlanta Falcons are ranked 27th on the list, so 6th worst. They were 23rd a year ago, so they're moving in the wrong direction, at least according to Bill Barnwell. The Panthers, 18th on the list. Last year, they were 7th. They were in the top 10. Big step back for Carolina this year. They're now ranked 18th on this list. My takeaways from this ranking, from this list, I mean, we could sit here and debate who should be where, but everybody has their own opinion. And this time it's, you know, list season and it's talking season. And we focus on these lists and we it becomes good fodder. But my main takeaway from all this is that maybe running back, wide receiver, tight ends are not as important as a lot of football fans think or as a lot of 
even front offices may think. And I was watching Moneyball yesterday. It is factually inaccurate about that Oakland A's team. And it really ticks me off. But with that said, it's a great movie. It's a well-done baseball movie. And if you didn't actually know anything about the Oakland A's or you didn't follow baseball then, you would have no idea that, well, that's not really telling the, the whole story. They never mention the three Cy Young pitchers they already had on the roster. They ignore the All-Stars they had in the infield with Tejada and Chavez. Jeremy Giambi was already on the team. So, too, was Chad Bradford. In the movie, they go out and they find these diamonds in the rough. They're already on the roster. But I digress. It's a well-done movie. But in the movie, the whole idea, the whole premise of Moneyball is when uh, Jonah Hill's character early on tells Brad Pitt, baseball people are all looking at this the wrong way. They see Johnny Damon, and they think he's a $7.5 million star. And that we have to give this guy $7.5 million. And if you lose Johnny Damon, you have to replace him with another star worth that much money. And as Jonah Hill's character explains, he got it all wrong. What you really have to look at is how many runs and on-base percentage. That's what you have to replace. doesn't matter if they're a star or not. doesn't matter if you don't have to pay them as much money, if they don't demand that much or command that much in the market. What you're looking for is just who gets on base as much as that guy. And so I'd say in football, similar, where we focus so much on getting those star receivers and tight ends and running backs, maybe that's not where the focus should be. Because when I look at the top ten of this list, and granted this is just one man's opinion, Bill Barnwell, but he does a good job. He's been on the show before. When I look at the uh, top ten list, in the top ten, you have the Raiders number two. They just squeaked into the playoffs last year. We'll see if they get in this year. They're a fringe playoff team. And what does that depend on? Probably Derek Carr. How well is Derek Carr going to play, regardless of the weapons around him? The 49ers are number three on this list. I would tell you that if they get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo as they're expected, and if Trey Lance is the starter all year, I don't know if San Francisco is a playoff team. Maybe because the NFC is so weak, but I'm down on Trey Lance. But what are the concerns? Not do they have enough weapons. It's is the quarterback good enough? The Vikings are number four in this list, which is bittersweet as a Vikings fan because it acknowledges we have a lot of talent. But it also reinforces why are they not making the playoffs more often? They have a lot of talent. Problem is, Kirk Cousins. What would most people point to? If you were to ask a random NFL fan, like, how come the Vikings aren't winning more? What would you say? Oh, they got Kirk Cousins as their quarterback. doesn't matter about the weapons. It's about the quarterback. The Chargers are number six on this list. Great talent, even a good quarterback, but they don't have any playoff wins yet with Justin Herbert. And I think that's more about the quarterback than it is a lack of weapons around him. The Eagles are eighth. The Dolphins are ninth. I put them in the same camp. They can stockpile all the talent they want. If the quarterback play isn't good enough this year, the teams aren't going to be good enough, and they're going to be making a change. The Steelers are 12th on this list. Do we have high expectations for the Steelers this year? Probably not. Why? Because Mitch Trubisky is their quarterback. The Seahawks are 13th on this list. Same idea. Most people think the Seahawks could be drafting first overall. Why? Because Drew Locke is their quarterback. Then you get to the bottom of the list. These are four teams in the bottom ten for skilled players on the roster. The Browns are ranked 23rd. The Ravens are ranked 25th. Patriots 26th. Packers 29th. Well, if Deshaun Watson could actually play this year, the Browns would be expected to be a playoff team. Roster is good enough. The Ravens, if they're healthy with Lamar Jackson, they should be a playoff team. In fact, I think they're favored to win their division. The Patriots are 26th on this list. They were just in the playoffs last year. And the Packers, 29th on this list. They're in the bottom five. But we all know, Green Bay, they're probably going to win that division this year. Why? Because of Aaron Rodgers. It's all about the quarterback. We could talk about how many you know, shiny toys you get them. It doesn't matter if you don't have the quarterback. I'll give you another example to drive home this point. Two teams I just mentioned. The Vikings are fourth on this list. The Packers are fourth worse. 
Who won the division last year? Who's favorite to win the division this year? Who's probably going to win the division this year? Again, as a Vikings fan, it pains me to say, Green Bay. But you're telling me the Packers have the fourth worst group of skilled players and the Vikings have the fourth best. What's the big difference? Quarterback play. Now swap the quarterbacks. Put Rodgers on Minnesota, Kirk Cousins on Green Bay. Which team wins the division? Of course, Minnesota would with Aaron Rodgers. So what's more important in all this? The quarterback play. It's the issue with Clemson, as I mentioned earlier. Look, Clemson's got a great defense. Will probably be top three in the country once again. They have a good running back in Will Shipley. They're in a weaker conference. They don't play in the SEC. And yet, there's still some concern around Clemson. Why? Because it doesn't matter about all that other stuff. We can boil football down now in 2022 to just simply the quarterback. Either you have it or you don't. And if you don't, it could be a long year. You could still win. Right? There's always exceptions. You can still win enough games. You could potentially be a playoff team. Some teams will make it to the playoffs without a great quarterback. But, boy, does it make things a lot more difficult. On the flip side, you could have a bad team, but if you have a great quarterback, it makes up all the difference. Because, hey, we got a lot of holes on this roster. Yeah, but we have Aaron Rodgers. We'll be just fine. We'll win 13 games and be in the playoffs. And maybe the team won't be good enough to go win a Super Bowl, but with a lesser roster and a better quarterback, it'll be good enough to win a lot more games than most other teams. Now, with all that said, when it comes to a young quarterback, a good skill set can help. It won't make that quarterback good on its own, but it could help them be good or better. I'll give you an example. Based off of this list, once again, Bill Barnwell's list on ESPN.com, the 49ers have the third best group of skilled players. The Bears have the second worst. If Trey Lance does start this year, look, I don't think he's ready. I don't think he'll be all that great. But I do think he'd have a greater chance to succeed than Justin Fields in Chicago. Why is that? Because the pieces around him. And most notably coaching, which is not included on this list. But it does help. It does make a difference for young quarterbacks. It won't make you a great quarterback. It won't turn you into a Hall of Famer if you just surround that person with talent. But when they're young, they're developing, they're growing, it certainly helps. It'll be a lot easier for Trey Lance to step in in San Francisco than what Justin Fields is going to have to do in Chicago. So, the takeaways, the lessons of this lecture. Number one, you could tell me all about the great running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. Quarterback's the most important thing. But number two, maybe speaking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit, when it comes to a young quarterback, those skill positions are still important. And the great thing is that young quarterback is on a rookie contract. They're cheap, so you can spend more money elsewhere if need be. But I actually saw this last night fitting that we were going to talk about this anyways. Warren Sharp tweeted this out from uh, Sharp Analytics. You can follow him on Twitter. He always has good stats and information. And he was looking at how much money teams spent on wide receivers with quarterbacks on their rookie deals. And I found this interesting. Patrick Mahomes, by his third season with the Chiefs, they had the 10th cheapest wide receiving core. Because it didn't matter about the wide receivers. It was more about the quarterback. Maybe a reason why they traded away Tyreek Hill. Josh Allen, another star. By his third year, the Bills had the cheapest wide receiving core in the league. But then you look at some other teams. Uh, Lamar Jackson, another one, by the way, by his, uh, in fact, all four years, uh, the Ravens uh, have been bottom 10 in spending money on uh, wide receivers. But then you look at some other teams, Daniel Jones, the Giants, number one. Uh, You have um, Tua, the Dolphins, two years ago, number one on the list. When you have those quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, the Browns, two years ago, spent the most money on wide receivers. Or I should say uh, his third season, Tua's second season, so on and so forth. 
But you get the idea. The teams that are spending a lot more on the wide receivers are the teams that think, eh, I don't know if our quarterback's the guy. When you have a Patrick Mahomes, when you have a Josh Allen, when you have a Lamar Jackson, you have to go out and spend a ton of money on wide receivers to put around them because you know, yeah, this guy's good enough. He's going to win with no matter who we give him. And the other thing I'll say, that this list does not account for and that is oftentimes glossed over, offensive line. Quarterback and offensive line are the two most important things. Now, pro football focus ranks the offensive line every year and throughout the year, preseason, postseason, everything. They do a good job breaking down offensive line play because you're not watching the games on Sunday like you're breaking down film, grading out the left guard. So pro football focus is a good resource for offensive lines. Based off of their rankings, the top five offensive lines all made the playoffs last year. Only two of the bottom 12 made the playoffs. Quarterback and offensive line. you got to have a talented quarterback, and you have to be able to protect him. And everything else will figure itself out. We fall in love with running backs and wide receivers, but they're not the most important. And you look at the teams that traded away talented wide receivers this offseason, the Ravens, the Packers, the Chiefs, the Titans, they're all still favored to win their divisions. They traded away their star wide receivers. Vegas didn't see a huge difference. Meanwhile, the Eagles got one of those star receivers. I didn't really change the odds. The Dolphins got one of those star receivers. They're still not favored to be better than the Bills. It's not always about the flashy wide receivers and running backs. It's usually what we fall in love with. You buy their jerseys. You love the one-handed catches. But football has become pretty simple. You need the quarterback, and then you have to protect the quarterback. And more important to the quarterback, the greater asset or friend to that quarterback is the offensive line. Keep them upright, as opposed to getting them the star wide receiver. What would you rather have, a star receiver or a good offensive line? Any talented quarterback should know it'd be a good offensive line. Those are the two most important things. And that was my takeaway from Bill Barnwell's list, that it drives that point home. When you look at the top 10 teams, the bottom 10, there are some pretty good teams, bottom 10 on that list of skill set players. There are some bad teams in the top 10. And what's the big difference? Quarterbacks, whether you have them or you don't. When we come back, speaking of lists, ESPN put out their ranking, their FBI predictions for college football this year, their top 10, their top 25. They really put everybody in ranking, in order. A couple of takeaways from that. We'll get to that when we come back. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, ESPN came out their college football power index for this college football season, ranking all the teams in order of what they expect. Some takeaways from that. We'll get to that coming up here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Now, there's a story from a few weeks back here on the Morrow Midday Show where Trent and myself happened to find uh, ourselves at the same concert. And we shared a story at the time about, Trent, how you were uh, being a little loud at one point. Ah, oh, jeez. Behind a couple of uh, young ladies trying to enjoy the show. <laughs> 
Now I don't remember where was I. I think I was. I think I defended you, right? Or did I say you were a bad guy? No, no. So you kind of said I was a bad guy, but it okay. was it was a warranted bad guy, and, and it's all good. I was looking for some sympathy on here because I did feel bad for the entire weekend. the The story was uh, there was a particular song that was going on during the the show, and I was chatting with a young lady next to me. You know, just chatting it up, having a good time, and somebody turned around and said hey, this is my favorite song. Can you please be quiet? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot we're at an outdoor concert. Right. Uh, you know, so, but I understood. She had tears in her eyes because it was like her favorite song of all time. So I felt bad about it. But no, you, you defended me a little bit because it's a concert. Okay. Well, I don't bring this up to throw you under the bus again. <laughs> I bring it up because I went to a show Saturday. Ooh. It, was a, it was a tribute band of Tom Petty. They're called the Wildflowers, which was, I thought, that was my favorite album of Tom. Uh, of course, Tom Petty passed away. I can't see him live anymore, so now I go to, uh, they seem to come around here about once a year. I go to the tribute shows, and they're pretty good, the Wildflowers. But if I said anything to defend Trent at the time, I take it all back. Oh, no. Oh, no. There was a guy standing up behind me. It was at the Charleston Music Hall, so it's a different type of experience. It's not so much like a rock show. It's more like a performance. Everyone's seated for the most part. Okay. Some people get up and they dance in the front. Well, it's just a different environment than if you go to a normal concert. This is, you know, a little concert hall. It's uh, almost like you're seeing a play or something. Anyways, two guys that were well sauced up <laughs> behind me. They were standing up the whole time. They were the, there was a bunch of empty rows behind me, so they didn't have anybody near them. So they were just, like, standing and kind of swaying back okay. and forth. They were talking so loud that at a certain point, I mean, they were almost, like, drowning out the music. They were so loud, and mm. they were talking about who knows what. Because if you're ever if you've ever been sober around drunk people, like they're the loudest ones. They're like yelling at each other. They don't realize how loud they're being. They're being very obnoxious, talking about who know they think they're being funny, whatever it is. It was driving me nuts. And it was about like eh, maybe not half the show, but it was for quite a while. Okay. And I really wanted to I never turned around and said anything. I really wanted to. I was kind of waiting for somebody else to do it, to be honest with you. I don't want to be the guy. There was two of them. There was one of me. I don't Avoid know. Avoid confrontation. Yeah, Avoid yeah, confrontation. Yeah. I didn't want to get ta double teamed. They were going to beat me up. So I was hoping like somebody, somebody else say something to these annoying guys. Uh, I didn't say anything. Eventually, they just stopped. Second half of the show, they really didn't say a word. I don't know what happened. But if I supported you, I take it back. These guys were so annoying, it was ruining the whole experience. Well, the music hall, you, you know, is different than Credit One, right? Where there's 10,000 people, it's outside, yes. everybody's standing up. You know, every, majority of people in the audience, of, you know, of age, obviously, is a little sauced up, having a good time listening to the Loomis, you know? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I understood my position, and I felt bad about it, but... The music hall might be a little different, but now I can understand from your perspective that uh, that I was probably a bad guy. I said at the time, you know, that I, figured, I I told you I've never had an experience where somebody was so loud that they were blocking out the music. Right. And that was in defense of you. Like, you're outside. The music's loud. I didn't think it'd be an issue. As you said, this is a little bit different. It is indoors. It's not as loud. It's not as big of a place. This was the first time that there was a conversation going on that it was, like, as loud as the music at one point. I was thinking, <laughs> enough already. I'm trying to listen to the song. They did put on a good show. Uh, they played for over two hours, which was nice. Wow. Played all the hits. It's obviously not the same as the original band. They do the best they can. But it kind of gives you the feel a little that's, bit. That's, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. It's the closest you get now. There you go. So, uh, I don't know. If you have a favorite musician who's passed away, maybe you enjoy going to see these tribute bands or these cover bands. Uh, for me, I guess that's Tom Petty. I've seen a couple of them here in the Low Country, and they've done a pretty good job. So, all in all, even when the, the drunk guys behind me, it was a nice night. It was a good show. They did a good job. But I was thinking about that, and, of course, I thought, like, ah, <laughs> oh, now I know what it was like for this poor girl crying at her favorite song, 
And Trent talking about uh, Aaron Rodgers' new tattoo behind her the whole time. <laughs> ah, brutal. I, I mean, look, it was one song. All right, I, I wasn't. I wasn't being. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I wasn't being. I was. You know, there were a couple yells because I wasn't a huge fan of the Lumineers. Didn't know a lot of their songs. Where I was just, yo, play the hits, play the hits. Mm-hmm. Here we go. And it seemed like the the crowd in front of me enjoyed it. Now I'm the type of guy at a concert, and you probably don't do this. I'm shaking everybody's hand, introducing oh, no. myself, you know, because I'm like, hey, we're here together, having a good time. Let's do it. You know, I want to make friends with oh, everybody. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Like you're uh, like you're at mass, you know, giving peace to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get peace out be with you. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Get that out. I'm just here to enjoy the music. <laughs> but anyways, that was my experience the other night. If you were there, hopefully you had a good time watching the wildflowers. I didn't even know it was a thing. Joe's told me uh, Friday while I was here, like, hey, you're going to see the wildflowers? I said, who's that? <laughs> the Tom Petty tribute band tomorrow. I said, ah, oh, maybe I will. Ended up going. It was a good time. So if you were there, hopefully, you, hopefully the people behind you weren't. The other thing too, I'll say real quick. I had uh, one of my best friends. I just was talking to him this morning. He would always say when we were growing up, or even like in co- everything, whenever I'm with him, if people are standing up around him and he's seated, he always says, "Sit down. You guys are making me nervous." Yeah, yeah. And I never got that. And I thought, like, what's the big deal? Now, as I've gotten older, I know what he's talking about. And that was the case there where I was in my seat. They were standing behind me. And they were, it was a concert. Uh, at the Lumineer show, I stood the whole time. I yeah, got no same. problem with standing. But for some reason, when you're seated and there are people standing around you, they were standing behind me. There was one guy next to me, like in the aisle, just for more leg room. Like I, I felt, I kept looking around. Like, what's going on around here? I felt a little uncomfortable. Yeah, People the anxiety, the anxiety gets a little heightened yeah. when you're, you know, not doing something that majority of other people are doing. It's like, it's everybody. What's about to happen here? Well, most people are sitting. It's just the idea of when you're seated and right. there's people like standing around. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I never, I never. When I grew up, I would always think uh, my bro, my uh, buddy's being a pain. He would always say, "Can you guys sit down? You're driving me nuts." And I think, like, what's the big deal? You know, we're <laughs> hanging out like in his living room, right? And he's not sitting on the couch, and we're standing up talking, and he'd be like, "Sit down." Yeah, why are you so uptight? But I tell you what, nowadays, I, I go out to a place, people are standing around me when I'm seated, I, I get the same idea now. I have that anxiety for some reason. Guess it comes with age. Huh? I'm getting old. Another That's what year. happens when you get older. You don't want to go out <laughs> as often. You're afraid to drive on the roads. I tell you, I hit 65, and now suddenly um, I got all this anxiety now. I don't even want to drive on the highway anymore. So, Hey, ESPN came out with their college football power index uh, within the past few days. It's always interesting to look at the model and the projections. I don't know if it's ever that accurate. But they're in line with Vegas. They have Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia as the clear favorites, and then Clemson's fourth, but there's a pretty sizable gap between them. A couple of takeaways from this ranking, from this list. Number one is what I just said. They're in agreement with Vegas and most people. Those are the top three teams. Now they have Alabama one, Ohio State two, Georgia three. And then, just to give you their top ten, Clemson four. Notre Dame 5, Michigan 6, Texas 7, Oklahoma 8, Miami 9, LSU 10. A lot of surprises there. How about the fact that they have Auburn as the 11th best team in college football? Texas A&M 12th. They do it just based off of, you know, looking at the rosters and the schedule and projections and how they think they match up with teams and how much talent they have. It's going to look very different than your normal top 25. A couple other takeaways, though. We've been talking a lot about quarterbacks today. Well, when I look at this list, Alabama and Ohio State have two of the best quarterbacks in the country. The one exception would be USC is not in the top 25 on their list. Georgia's third on this list, and you could say, like, well, they don't have a great quarterback. I know that's the perception, but, again, remember, Stetson Bennett finished third last year in QBR, and Georgia's ranked third for this upcoming season. And, by the way, put some respect on the name. He's a now national championship quarterback. So Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, three of the better quarterback situations, they're top three on this list. Also, of just their top ten teams on this ranking, 
four of them have first-year head coaches. So in the eyes of ESPN and their FPI, they don't have much issue with a coaching change or a first-time head coach. They have Notre Dame as the fifth-best team in the country, have them projected to win nine games this year. I don't think Notre Dame will be a top-five team. They have Oklahoma and Brent Venables, number eight. They have Mario Cristobal on Miami, nine. Brian Kelly at LSU, ten. I could see Brian Kelly having success. I think Mario Cristobal is a home run for Miami. Concerns about Venables. But four of the top ten teams on their list are new coaches. And then my last takeaway is just a lot of questions. Will Notre Dame really be the fifth best team? Will Michigan be six? I think Michigan takes a step back this year. Texas they have in the top ten. LSU 10, Auburn 11. I'm higher on Auburn than most people, but I tell you, no chance are they the 11th best team in college football this year. When you look at various conferences, and last week we ran through conference by conference, right? I think Michigan won't be as good as they were last year. I think they take us, if we were doing like a stock watch, I think Michigan goes down. I think Minnesota's better this year. I think Penn State's better this year. I think Nebraska's better this year. In the ACC, I think Pittsburgh takes a step back. I think NC State may take a step forward. Miami will take a step forward. UNC could take a step forward. In the SEC, I think Ole Miss takes a step back. I don't think Texas A&M will be all that great once again this year. And I do think Tennessee will take a step forward. Florida will be better than last year. Uh, LSU will be better than last year. Auburn will be better than people think. Those are some of the teams that, off the top of my head, I could tell you, maybe I'm higher on than others and lower on certain teams than others are. But some surprises, certainly, in the FPI's top 10, or top 11, if you want to include Auburn there. South Carolina, in case you're interested, they have South Carolina as the 45th best team in college football this year, projected to go 6-6 six and six in the regular season. They give the Gamecocks a 62% chance of making a bowl game, a half percent chance of winning the division, 0.1 to actually win the SEC, and they give them no chance to make the playoffs. Alabama has the greatest odds of winning the national championship at 30%. Ohio State at 28%, Georgia 24 Clemson 10 and then nobody else is higher than 2%. So in the eyes of the FPI, it's a really a four-team race this year to win the national championship. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and then you get eventually the Clemson as well. You can find all that data online at ESPN.com. When we come back, we'll wrap up Hour 1. we got to talk about the Atlanta Braves and what they've been up to, especially yesterday's loss. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Yo, what up? What's the word, big fella? Everything's good on this end. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, Luke. Hey, man. Pleasure to be on your show. I'm doing great, but I'm hoping you could call me Boca Baby. Great show. You did a good job. You're turning into rapidly my favorite person I've interviewed with, and I've done like 50 of these in the last week. You've done your homework. I like it. I absolutely like it. I love that. Another great thought. You've done your homework, haven't you? Good job. You've always get these big stars and important people on. That's great to hear. We like to hear the interviews. You know, it's uncanny how you do this, Luke. And I don't know how you do because I, you know, I do this gauntlet of radio on Thursdays where I do all these different cities. Many of them need their hosts to have me give them some talking points. You hit all my talking points every week. <laughs> it's, it's uncanny how good you are. Always great talking football with you, Luke. Appreciate you guys being right. Very impressive. Just want to say, 
I find you the low country Colin Coward. You use common sense with statistics and you combine them and you think outside the box. Shout out to all the people in Charleston that support the show. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. You inspire us to listen more to your show every single day. Da-da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. Go ahead, boy. That's why you bring it on. Is this a sports show or a dancing show? I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what we're doing around here. Well, it was Luke for three hours. Anything goes. On the Morrow Midday Show. I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Let's spend a moment on the Atlanta Braves as we wrap up Hour 1. The Braves had a chance yesterday. You woke up yesterday morning. You're thinking, here's our chance to finally get into first place. They could sweep a bad Angels team. There's something strange with Atlanta. Now, Brian Snicker afterwards said, hey, we're just in the business of winning series. I don't have to apologize for not being perfect. And that is true. You just want to win series. But there is something about the Braves' inability to win a series finale. In their last 25 games, they're 17-8. and eight. But they're 1-7 in, in series finales. So outside of the final game in a series, they've gone 16-1. and one. They play great. And then you get to that final game, and it's like, all right, we, we won the series. We did our part. We're good to go. It's like a salesman. Uh, Jim mentioned this in one of the episodes of The Office. When you put, like, a, a cap on how much commission you can make, it's like, all right, well, what's my motivation to sell anymore? It's like Jim hitting his uh, sales commission cap with a week to go in the month and thinking like, all right, my work's done. Let me wait till the next month. That's like the Atlanta Braves. They win the first two games of the series, and they're like, all right, like our work's done. We won the series. Let's wait till the next team comes along. Another part of it is that uh, most of these losses are in day games. The Braves have, for whatever reason, have not been as good in the day this year. And another part of it could be just like mentally, your psyche, where, again, you are kind of like ready to go on to the next thing. Or if it's getaway day. Having worked in baseball, that's... Always the idea of getaway day. Guys are getting up there and just swinging. They want to get in and out. They want to get on the plane. They want to get to the next city. Or they want to get back home if you're on the road. You can always get the best performance uh, in day baseball when it's a getaway day. You're playing at 1230 on a Wednesday. you got to travel afterwards. It's going to be a long day. You just want to get it over with. Maybe you don't put, your, put forth your best effort. But it is just interesting. The Braves have been like the best team in baseball over the past seven weeks and yet can't win a series finale. They win the first two games. They play great. You get to that final game, and it's like, all right, our job here has been done. Let's get ready for the next one. They're a game and a half behind the Mets. I thought, finally, they're going to overtake New York for first in the East yesterday. They lost. The Mets won. Game and a half. Should be a fun summer. The trade deadline's a week from tomorrow. We'll see which team in the division adds some pieces as baseball gets a little more interesting throughout the summer. Hour two coming up next. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Back, 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 back again. Say back, 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 tell a friend, 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 yeah. 
Guess who's back? 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 Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we'll touch on the Tennessee situation. Plus, who is the toughest actor to understand in their movies or shows? Is that coming up in just a few moments? Some quarterback over-unders for the upcoming NFL season. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. And the podcasts are available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. While there, you can always leave a comment for the show as well. You can get to the show on Twitter at Morrow Middays. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Or... You can join the conversation on the phones. 843-721-9500 to give us a call. Hey, the uh, training camps are starting around the league in the NFL. We've been talking a lot about quarterbacks as we get ready for the NFL season. College football now is, what, less than six weeks away. Therefore, the NFL is about seven weeks away. We're gearing up for football season. It's right around the corner. Closed out last hour talking about the Braves. Baseball starts to get a little more exciting with the trade deadline next week. We'll see if anything, what the Braves, Mets do. Some of the other teams in baseball is Juan Soto moved. Uh, I don't think Otani gets traded, but, you know, there's rumors about that. So baseball heats up. Football's right around the corner. And with football coming up, I figure let's look at some over-unders. We've been talking a lot about quarterbacks today. Let's try to determine certain quarterback performances, uh, performances this year. We'll look at some over-under numbers. These come out of Vegas. These are not made up. These are the actual over-unders. I'll give you my best bet, my best thoughts on whether quarterbacks will go over or under certain numbers. We got about 11 of them. Let's run through some NFL quarterback over-unders. We got about 11 different ones throughout the league, different types of over-unders. Trent will read them off to me. I'll let you know if I would take the over or the under. Now, quick disclaimer most things if we talk betting on the show their bets we're making these we're just speculating i don't know if i would actually bet any of these but what do i think we'll get from certain quarterbacks let's find out luke first one here aaron Rodgers passing touchdowns over under 32 and a half it sounds like one that you probably think you certainly go over 17 games 32 and a half he had 37 passing touchdowns a year ago but Rodgers has only gone over 32 in three of the last seven years, and now he's lost Devontae Adams. I'm going to take the over, though, because I think Rodgers is going to be out for uh, a vengeance. He wants to prove everybody wrong without Devontae Adams. He may get off to a little bit of a slow start as he learns his wide receivers. But in 17 games, it's an average of about two a game. Look, he plays the Bears and the Lions four times. You have four touchdown games against them. I'll take my chances. And even without Devontae Adams, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to try to have a big year to prove everybody wrong at his age without his star receiver. So I'll say over 32 and a half. And the Vikings, remember that. Tua <laughs> interceptions over under 14, Luke Morrow. You know what? 
quickly back on Rodgers. It is going to be hard to get the over when he throws no touchdowns in two of his games oh, when yeah? he faces the Vikings. Yeah, okay. that's going to be challenging. Uh, Tua, I'm going to say over 14 interceptions. In his career, he's made 21 starts. He has 15 interceptions in 21 games. So it's almost won a game. It's about two-thirds of won a game. If he starts every game this year, I think with Mike McDaniel, with Tyreek Hill, I think he's going to be forced to have to do more, throw it more, and with some of those weapons, maybe even throw it downfield a little bit more. Uh, I know uh, last year the Niners led the league in yards after the catch, but I think Tua will have to take more chances this season. I'll take the over 14. I assume he's going to start every game. You have to factor that into your equation, and I think he's going to throw it away quite a bit. I'm not a big Tua guy. It's about an interception a game, so I'll say over 14. It is a pretty big number, but I'll say over on the uh, Tua interceptions. Next one here, Luke. Trey Lance passing yards over or under 3,500. Big number. I'm going to take the under. Now, it's about 200 yards, just over 200 yards a game, right? Because you figure 200 yards times 17 games, that gets you to 34. So it's about 200 passing yards, and today that doesn't sound like a whole lot. Now, Jimmy G last year exceeded 3,800 in just 15 starts, so he kind of blew past the number. But only 18 quarterbacks actually went over 3,500 last year. So the question is, do we think Trey Lance will be top 18 in the league in passing yards? Well, I did just say the Niners are number one in yards after the catch, so that will help. But I'm going to take the under. Uh, I'm not high on Trey Lance. Again, this is assuming he's going to start every game anyways. I don't know what's going to happen with Garoppolo. What's going to happen with Trey Lance's health? Is he going to make it through the year? I just don't think he's ready yet. So if he starts, I don't think he puts up a ton of big numbers. We see a lot of quarterbacks come in and have low passing totals their first year. Look at Trevor Lawrence last year. Lawrence went like two months without exceeding, I think it was 200 yards. So I'm going to take the under 3,500 yards on Trey Lance. I think it could be a little bit of a different offense this year. Maybe he'll be running a little bit more. Uh, Different types of uh, gadget plays with Kyle Shanahan. I'll say under 3,500 for Trey Lance. Next one here, Matt Ryan passing touchdowns over or under 23 and a half. All right, so Matt Ryan had 20 last year with Atlanta. The last two Colts quarterbacks, they brought in Phillip Rivers, they brought in Carson Wentz. They both exceeded the 23 and a half. I'm going to take the over for Matt Ryan. I think the difference between going to the Falcons and the Colts, I think we could squeeze four more touchdowns out of them. Now, that is a 20% increase, so it is kind of a lot. But I think in that offense, with Frank Wright calling the plays, better offensive line, the weapons still aren't great, but you do have at least Jonathan Taylor's better than anything on the Falcons. Uh, I'm going to take my chances that Matt Ryan, you squeeze just by simply going to Indianapolis, he gets uh, four more touchdowns out of him. You know, Phillip Rivers... His touchdowns increase. Carson Wentz touchdowns increase. I think the same thing happens for Matt Ryan. It's the Frank Reich effect. Give me over 23 and a half touchdowns. Lamar Jackson rushing yards over or under 950. I'm realizing I'm playing right into Vegas' hands because I'm taking all the overs, <laughs> and that's what they want. It's usually the under. you got to bet the unders. Nobody wants to bet unders. I'm going to take over Lamar Jackson 950 yards. I'm going over again. He's gone over 1,000 rushing yards in the two years that he started over 14 games. So... You have to assume health. I'm going to bank on Lamar being healthy. Maybe that's the riskier proposition, but I'm going to assume after last year he'll be healthy this year, gets through most of the games. And the other thing when I look at it is he could be a free agent. Now, that could go either way. There were ideas, there were reports that Kyler Murray stopped running as much this past year because he didn't want to get hurt. He wanted to sign a big contract first. Uh, The other way, the other side of the coin is that you really want to show out before you hit the open market. Now, I know there's an injury risk, but Hollywood Brown's gone, so you lose one weapon there. I think Lamar Jackson's out to, kind of like Aaron Rodgers, prove people wrong. 
before he gets a huge contract. So I think he's going to run more this year. I think he's going to have to run a little bit more. I assume he's going to be healthy, get through the year, and I'll say over 950 rushing yards for Lamar this season. Life's too short to bet the under. Next one here, Luke. Uh, Jalen Hurts passing touchdowns over or under 22 and a half. Despite that sage advice, I'm going to say the under on Jalen Hurts. He had 16 passing touchdowns last year. Only 13 quarterbacks went over that 22 number a year ago. Do we think Jalen Hurts will probably be in the top 13 in touchdown passes? I don't. He had 16 last year. I don't see him increasing by seven more this year. I think Jalen Hurts is the weak link. I think the the Eagles have a lot of weapons. I think they have some talent. Good offensive line. Now A.J. Brown. I'm just not sold on Jalen Hurts' throwing ability. This is one that I might actually hammer the under. 22 and a half. I don't think he gets there. He had 16 a year ago. That's a big jump. I'll take under on the Jalen Hurts passing touchdown. Next one here, Luke. Derek Carr passing yards over or under 4,500. Yeah, this is a big number. I'm going to take the over. Only six quarterbacks exceeded that number last year, but one of them was Derek Carr. Now you add Devontae Adams and you add Josh McDaniels as the head coach. I think Derek Carr could have even more passing yards. The tricky thing about passing yards, though, if you go back and you look, a lot of times the guys at the top of the league are the ones that you know play on teams that are trailing. they got to throw it a lot. So if you think the Raiders are going to be good this year, maybe they're not throwing as much. Last year, uh, you know, they were they just squeaked into the playoffs. They had a bunch of fourth-quarter comebacks, so they had to throw it a lot. Maybe Carr won't be throwing it as much this year. But I think when you look at that division, I, I don't think the Raiders are one of the top two teams. They may still be the worst team in that division because it's such a good division. So when you go up against Mahomes, you go up against Justin Herbert, you're probably going to be playing from behind, have to throw it a bunch. Carr went over 4,500 last year. I wouldn't feel great about it. But I think he goes over again this year, so give me Carr over 4,500 passing yards. Next one here, Joe Shiesty, Joe Burrow passing touchdowns. Over or under 32 and a half? I'm going to have to say under. Wow. Uh, he had 34 last year. He was one of nine quarterbacks to go over 32. I'm going to say under because I am going to bank on a little bit of a step back for the Bengals. I don't think they're going to be bad. I don't think Joe Burrow's going to have a uh, down year. I don't think last year was necessarily a fluke. I just think last year was such a big year. I don't know if this season you come back and do even better. We've seen teams struggle after making it to the Super Bowl. So I think the Bengals are going to be fine. I think Joe Burrow's a really good quarterback. I'm not selling my stock on him. But from a betting perspective, I'm going to bet on a slight downturn. He had 34 last year. Could he have two fewer this year? I think so. And if he does, he'll hit the under. So give me under 32 and a half. It's a lot of touchdowns. Next one here, Luke. Josh Allen rushing touchdowns over or under seven. I'm going to say the over. Last year was the only time in his career he had fewer than seven rushing touchdowns. But he had the most rushing attempts of his career. He ran it more than he ever has. Just maybe not as much at the goal line. I'll say uh, over seven for Josh Allen and the Bills. The Bills are, you know, like Super Bowl favorites in the AFC. Josh Allen's got to have a big year. Uh, Don't love uh, the running back stable. So I'll, I'll take my chances. Last year was the only time he went under seven. I think he'll go over seven this year. Give me the over uh, seven rushing touchdowns. Mac Jones passing touchdowns over or under 23 and a half. I'll take the under on this. Uh, only again, only 13 quarterbacks went higher than this number a year ago. Do we think Mac Jones is going to be in the top 13? I don't. Now, last year he had 22 as a rookie. The over under is 23 and a half. So you could say, well, second year he should be able to add on, you know, two more touchdowns. Maybe. But many also think last year was already kind of his ceiling. I don't know if that's accurate or not. My greater concerns are just simply you lose Josh McDaniels and you have Belichick and you have uh, Joe Judge and Matt Patricia calling the offense and there's not a clear number one wide receiver. Maybe Belichick calling the plays will be the best thing for him. 
But I think uh, this year the Patriots may not be quite as good as a year ago. Mac Jones had 22 last year, so he went under the number. I think he'll be around there again this year, maybe 20. So give me under 23 and a half touchdowns for Mac Jones. Last one here, Luke. Russell Wilson interceptions on a new team over under nine. He's only gone over that number once in the last four years. I'm going to take the over for Russell Wilson. As you said, new system, new teammates. He's got to get on the same page as these guys. He's got to learn the offense. And also, he's going to be playing in some cold weather potentially in Denver. Maybe the ball slips out of his hand. It's a little hard to throw the football. And they could be trailing in games. I do like Russell Wilson. The Broncos could be interesting this year. But they may be the third best team in the division. They're in a tough division. Even if they end up winning some games, it may take some fourth quarter comebacks. They could be trailing from time to time in that tough AFC. And when you're trailing, you have to throw more. You have to take more chances. Could lead to more interceptions. Russell Wilson is usually careful with the football. But new team in Denver. Tough division. I'll say over nine interceptions for Russell Wilson this year. And a few over-unders for NFL quarterbacks this upcoming season. By the way, speaking of over-unders, I did not double-check this. So forgive me if I'm giving out false information. Somebody said the Bills over-under is 11 and a half right now. Their win total? Yeah, win total. Yeah, it is, 11 and a half. So if you take the under, that means they're going to lose six games? I don't know. I think that's a, that seems like a, too good to be true. I feel like they could at least go 12 and 5. That's the worst case scenario. You still win your bet. That seems pretty good. No, it, it does. I was very shocked when I heard that. There's a lot of teams like that right now. I believe Tampa is at 10 and a half as well mm. in the NFC. I, I, this might be the sports books, though, reeling us in. Overs, overs, so. overs, overs. And I uh, could go a different way, Luke. Yeah, anybody that gambles on sports knows when something seems too good to be true, it's because <laughs> it is. So when the Bills are only at, whatever, it is 11 and a half, the Bucks are only at 10 and a half, you think like, wow, this is easy money. Yeah, it is for Vegas. They want you to take the over because uh, you're a sucker. I'm a sucker. So I don't know, I saw that number. Or somebody said that the other day. They said the Bills are 11 and a half, and I thought, man, I could still get five losses from the Bills and still win my bet. That seems good. 12 and 5? That seems like the floor, especially in that. I mean, they should beat the Dolphins probably both times. They could beat the. They could run the table in that division potentially if they play well enough. They won't. You usually lose a couple division games. Uh, those games are always tough, but they could potentially uh, go undefeated in that division alone. Over unders for NFL quarterbacks this year. When we come back, which actors are the hardest to understand? We'll get to that next. More midday show on ESPN Radio. Overhead Door Company, the original garage door company, serving you for over 90 years. Call 843-767-0028 or overheaddoorco.com. Overhead Door Company of Charleston, proud to open Hour 2 of the Morrow Midday Show. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, which actor is the toughest to understand? And I'm not talking about, like, their ideology or the weird things they do, but literally the toughest, when they're on screen, which one do you have the hardest time understanding what they're actually saying? A pretty important part for an actor. We'll get to that on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Uh, uh, Brad's a P1 listener, so he knows I'm a Red Sox fan. Right now a, a pained Red Sox fan. He asked on Twitter, the... Uh, 
The Red Sox are still in the hunt for the wild card, but they've been struggling lately. Do you think they should try to get Juan Soto? I think really every team should try to get Juan Soto. And I was talking about this with a friend over the weekend who's a Mariners fan. And he was saying, um, I don't remember exact conversation. He was saying something along the lines of uh, the Nationals. Right? He said the Nationals don't want to pay him. That's why he's becoming available. I said, no, they're, they offered $440 million. That's pretty good. I don't think you could call that team cheap. They're willing to put up half a billion dollars. And my buddy said, yeah, but it's only, whatever, $29 million a year. And you got to pay him more per year. And I said, okay, that's fair, but there's a reason why, according to reports, only seven teams have reached out to the Nationals about Soto because of two things, the price tag, in two ways. Number one, which you're going to have to give up for him. Maybe your top five prospects, and we know GMs love their prospects. And then number two, the price tag. He turned down $440 million. So if you want to keep him more than two and a half years and you're going to give up the farm for him, you got to sign him to extension. You're going to have to give him you know, over $500 million. And there's a reason why only seven teams reached out because there's not a lot of teams that are willing to go that far with a guy and give up that much money. So, uh, look, the Nationals aren't all that great in terms of being how, how they've been operated lately, and they're trying to sell the team, it looks like. But I don't think we could be too hard on the Nationals. They offered $440 million. Uh, Don't say the team's being cheap. Uh, that's what my buddy, that was from our conversation with a friend over the weekend. So anyways, takes me back to the whole conversation of Soto. Will he be moved? And the trade deadline's a week from tomorrow. I'll have more thoughts tomorrow on the trade deadline and just, I think, baseball. You know, I referenced Moneyball last hour in a different sense now. I think the executives of baseball are a little backwards. But to answer Brad's question, yeah, the Red Sox should be interested. Everybody should be interested in Juan Soto. You're getting a 23-year-old who you could have. It's going to cost you a lot, but you could have for the next 12 years. You hope you draft or sign or develop a Juan Soto. Everybody wishes they had a Juan Soto. Here's the chance. Not often do these these guys become available and available at 23. One thing, if you get like Aaron Judge is going to be a free agent this year, he's going to be 31. Now, he's still got some good years in him, you know, but maybe five left in his prime. And then by the time he's, you know, 37, 38, it's like, all right, he's kind of over, over the hill. Juan Soto's 23. It's like getting a Ronald Acuna right now. Everybody would love to have that on their team. Going to take you a lot, but yeah. So to answer the question, absolutely the Red Sox should be interested. And not even just for this year, but again, because you could, you have to sign them to extension. You could have them for the next 12 years. So even if you're a team and you say like, well, we're not going to make the playoffs this year, that's okay. He'll help you make the playoffs in future years. So when I saw the reports that only seven teams reached out, I'm sure because he's out of the price range of most owners, they don't want to spend that much. But theoretically, every team in the league should be interested in Juan Soto. Now with all that said, I'll save this for tomorrow, but again, I think a lot of teams are kind of uh, getting out of hand with what they're looking at. You know, when you look at Juan Soto, he's a great player, uh, five-tool guy. You know, but the batting average, it's just baseball nowadays. The batting average is in the 240s. It's, it's, I'm still an old-school guy where, to me, to be a great baseball, it's hard to call a guy like a Hall of Famer when he's hitting 240. Call me old school. I know people care more about on-base percentage nowadays and home run numbers. But that is the weird thing. And this year's a down year. Soto's always hit the ball well until this season, but it is weird to talk about this guy, you know, and, and then you look at the numbers and like, yeah, he's batting 240. We gotta get this we gotta give up everything for him. He's a talented player, average is a little down this year. But I'm someone who still kind of cares about batting average. I guess I'm uh I'm uh too old school. I I'm antiquated at this point. But I'll have more thoughts on Soto and just Major League Baseball in general, because we see a lot of money being thrown around and it hasn't really worked out. I'm curious if if Soto could be an exception. But, yeah, the Red Sox should be interested. Everyone should be interested. The Yankees, the Dodgers, even the Braves in their own division, the Mets. Uh, everyone, you get a Juan Soto, you, you take that opportunity. And GMs, 
you know, always want to hold on to their prospects. You hope your prospects turn into Juan Soto. I'll take my chances. You know, give me the, the give me the proven All Star, who's only twenty three, instead of the guy that you hope could potentially be Soto a few years from now. And look, I'll save you from going on a Red Sox rant, but the one thing I'll say, the Red Sox, I don't think would ever consider making a move like that for Juan. So I just don't think that's their mo anymore. Unfortunately, they're a big market team, but they hired the GM from uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. You, if you're the Red Sox, you, you don't usually do that. Now, John Henry, their owner, has always kind of had that style. Uh, they were trying to get Billy Bean originally 20 years ago, Moneyball. Right? He's all about winning while spending less. Uh, they went away from that and hired Dave Dombrowski, who's now running the Phillies. Dombrowski is well-known for being very aggressive. And Dombrowski gave out some big contracts, and the owners fired him less than a year after winning a World Series because he was giving out so much money. And they thought, no, 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 we got to get this guy out of here. He's throwing our money around. So then they went out and they got Heim Bloom from the Rays, who, you know, he's used to winning while spending less. And I imagine uh, Bogarts is going to be gone. I imagine J.D. Martinez will be gone at the end of the year. Uh, there's speculation that maybe Rafael Devers won't re-sign when his uh, free agency is up, when he becomes a free agent after next year because the Red Sox don't want to spend enough. I can tell you as a Red Sox fan, really ticks me off. The Dodgers hired Andrew Friedman from the Rays. The Dodgers have the highest payroll in baseball. They wanted Freeman from the Rays, but they don't want him to act like he was still running the Rays. They wanted him to act like he's a former Rays employee running the Dodgers. Ian Bloom comes to Boston. He thinks he's still in Tampa. That's the big difference to me that's, that's frustrating. And the Red Sox right now have all sorts of injuries, but that team is embarrassing because they're trying to piece it together like it's Tampa Bay. you got money to spend. Go out there and get some guys. Right? Friedman goes to L.A. He's getting everybody. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman. He's not working on a shoestring budget like he was still in Tampa. That's my biggest issue. So as a Red Sox fan, I don't think they're interested at all in Juan Soto. They don't want to spend that much money. They don't want to give up those prospects because they see themselves as like Tampa North, where the Dodgers hired Freeman from Tampa, and they said, hey, here's the money. Go spend it. Do what you need to do. And boy, has he. Now, look, the Dodgers, they've only won one World Series during all this, but at least they're competitive, and they're trying, and their fan base, their fan base can't say, like, wow, our owners are cheap. Whereas if you're a Red Sox fan, you're, in the next two years, you could potentially lose Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers after already trading away Mookie Betts a couple years ago. Like, what are we doing? We're supposed to be the Yankees, not the Tampa Bay Rays. But I'll save you from my other thoughts as a Red Sox fan right now, frustrated with the way the summer has gone. Instead, let me shift gears to this. They did a poll, the actor that is the hardest to understand. And this poll was done by uh, Preply via The Wrap. I don't know what this is. But they did a poll to find out who uh, American viewers have the hardest time following the dialogue of. Now, before I get to the results, Trent, I don't know if you've seen this or not. I have not. No, sir. If I were to put you on the spot, Mm. I don't know if I could come up with an answer. Like, if you asked me who's the hardest actor or actress to understand, I don't know. But is there anybody that you could think of when you watch a series, a movie, that you think, like, wow, that I can't, his accent, the way he talks, whatever it is, I don't know what this guy's saying. Well, I know I talk about this show ad nauseum, but uh, Peaky Blinders does have some of the craziest accents. And there is one character by the name of Alfie Solomon who is played by none other than Tom Hardy. And we were actually, Intern Anderson and myself were talking about this during the break, and we said that he is by far the hardest guy to understand. It's inc- I'm working on the accent right now, so give me a week and then we'll <laughs> Uh, we'll introduce it on the program here, but by far. I mean, you have to have the captions on for that show normally, but he, his character, you cannot understand. Well, you nailed it. Really? He was the number one in the po- in, amongst pollsters. They said Tom Hardy in general, not that character, but just Tom Hardy okay. is the hardest actor to understand what he's actually saying on screen. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've only seen, I, I know the name. I know what he looks like. I, mean, I think I've only seen him in, uh, it was a really good movie, Lawless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great movie. 
That's another one, though. I, I do recall when I was watching it, his accent was a little tough. I haven't really seen um, Tom Hardy in a bunch of stuff. He might be the next James Bond. So really? A, yeah, that's a, that's a big conversation right now in the Twitter out. sphere. Yeah. Now, he's from uh, England originally, so he does have an accent. And then I guess just the way he also speaks as well. You know, I never saw, um, and it got terrible ratings, but it's up my alley, when he was uh, Al Capone, that movie that came right. out. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that one. I'll have to see that. But Tom Hardy, number one, hardest actor to actually hear what he sang. Number two on the list was uh, Sofia Vergara mm. uh, from Modern Family fame. You know, she, she's from Colombia. She has a thick accent as well, so I guess that's, that makes it challenging. Third on the list is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ah. And then uh, you get Sean Connery is fourth. People always mock uh, the way Connery, his voice, the way he talks. Johnny Depp's fifth. Hmm. I think that's more like characters. When he's playing, like, uh, the chocolate factory guy, Charlie or whatever. <laughs> Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka, whoever. Charlie was the kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> when he was playing Willy Wonka or he's playing, uh, you know, a pirate, I think it's kind of part of the role that why you can't understand him. He does, like, mumble a little bit. But uh, Johnny Depp in general, you hear him talk, I don't think you're saying, like, what? what's this guy saying? That's the kind of same thing with Sofia Vergara. Like, uh, her character, I know she has a yes. thick accent, but her character on Modern Family, like, that was the whole point, was, like, when she was yelling or getting mad, you didn't know what she right. was saying. You right. didn't know she it's was true. speaking English. That's true. So I guess that all comes into it. Jackie Chan's then next on the list. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne's on the list. He's not an actor. <laughs> what, what has he acted in? And then Benedict Cumberbatch is the last one, and that reminds me of a scene in uh, Master of None, which was a Netflix show with uh, Aziz Ansari, and there was a scene in the show where they were watching, um, what was he in? What, what was Cumberbatch? Did he do, uh, like, Sherlock Holmes, the show? He did Ooh. some sort of series. Anyways, they were watching the series in the series, and um, his, his buddy said, I'm loving the visuals, but I'm understanding, like, every third word Cumberbatch is saying, and it's a funny scene as they're watching, they're binge-watching some show that he's in. I forget his big show, Benedict Cumberbatch did. But he's uh, the last one to round out the list. So there you go. The toughest actors or actresses to understand. Tom Hardy, number one. By far. By, by far. And, like, Killian Murphy's kind of difficult to uh, to listen to on uh, Peaky Blinders sometimes. Uh-huh. You can't really understand. But the character that Tom Hardy plays, Alfie Solomon, you, it's every third word. It's every third word, maybe. I'm not great with accents in general. Like I'm not. If somebody's speaking with an accent, I struggle as to know what type of accent it is. I have friends that are really good. Like, oh, that's a so and so accent. Like, I have no idea. I really. Don't. I'm not good with accents. And the same idea in like TV shows. Shows that are everyone's talking in a different accent. I also struggle with. Uh, like Tom Hardy. So uh, we'll see about Peaky Blinders. Every week it's a different thing. You tell me something one week that intrigues me. Then another week, I'm hearing about how I, you won't you don't understand anything one of the characters says. I don't know. It's his character. That's what like with Johnny Depp, right? And we're we're Team Johnny over here, obviously. Oh, yeah. uh, but it's kind of the character that he plays. Uh, you know, it's it's a little hard to understand, but it's a great show, Luke. Come on, football season's right around the corner. You only got a couple <laughs> yeah, days. Yeah, that's right. I'm running out of time here to binge <laughs> my shows. Have you uh, finished Severance yet? No, I have not. Uh, I have not. I kind of, you know, it's you were right. It, it was slow, and so in my brain, you know, us Gen Zers, we got a pretty right. short attention span. So uh, I haven't got back into it yet wow. because I was pretty, you know, I've there's been good stuff actually on sports the last couple of weeks. So I've been uh, I've been grinding that, but I'll get back on Severance before football. Wow! So you punted on Severance? I did punt. You know, wow. I give it three episodes, and it was good. It was good, but then I said, you know, it can't. Do I need to sit down and get a fourth? And then I just moved on. Wow! Did you ever finish Ozark? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Finish oh, okay. Yeah, loved it. Loved it. Incredible. You like the ending? 
I mean, it could have been better. It yeah. could have been better. It's kind of like Peaky where like it seemed to be a little open-ended, but I know the show's over. It, you yeah, know, like right. that's that's kind of how I felt. Yeah. Now, Peaky has a movie that's coming out that kind of wraps everything together, but Ozark is done, right? I think yeah. They, yeah. they're not doing another one. So Yeah, I wonder if like maybe the other move is sometimes they do movies afterwards. Right, yeah. I wonder if like a few years from now we'll get an Ozark movie. But yeah, the show is supposed to be done. I mean, you give me two and a half hours straight of Marty Bird. Oh, are uh, you kidding? Over. I'll I'll be one of those that camp out for the you know for the <laughs> tickets to the first showing, which you don't have to do anymore. Um, last thing on entertainment. Speaking of movies, that new movie Nope came out. Uh, what is it? Jordan Peele's new uh, horror film. I had two people that saw it over the weekend. You know, separately, both loved it. I think I'm gonna have to go see that in theaters. I've been looking forward to this movie for months. Yeah, you you've been talking about it for yeah. you know a couple weeks now, and so yeah. and I saw the trailer and I said, oh yeah, that's right, Luke's <laughs> Alley. Oh yeah, he does good work. You know, it's interesting. He's a guy from, uh, he came up in comedy, and now he's doing these great horror films. Uh, so he's a man of, of multiple interests, I guess, and multi-talented. That's one I want to see in theaters. I'll probably get there this week. I wanted to go yesterday. Never, I was being lazy, never made it. Maybe this week. Nope. The new uh, big movie from Jordan Peele. Got to get Top Gun, too. I mean, you know, got to get Top Gun down, it's, down there. It's out on, uh, you got to get Paramount Plus so you could stream it now. That's right. The new Top yeah. Gun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. We'll see about Nope in theaters. When we come back, time for Trent's Takes. It's the Mar Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we'll touch on the Tennessee scandal. Circle back to the big news for the Gamecocks over the weekend. Could this be the greatest Heisman race we've ever had? We've got plenty more to do throughout the afternoon. If you ever miss anything with the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. But we do it around this time each and every day. It's time for Trent's Takes. What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer? Draft Luke Morrow. That's Panthers. right. It's time for Trent's Takes. The Radio Cowboy will be coming, and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, I know it's a slow time in sports right now, but let me tell you something. Over the weekend, there was an incredible performance at UFC Fight Night with Meatball Molly McCain and Patty the Batty Plimblet. They were in England, 20,000 deep in O2 Arena, both of them from Liverpool, their best friends. Molly McCain, for the second time, had a spinning elbow knockout in the first wow. round. And Patty, for the second time, had a submission in the second round. Unbelievable fights. It was incredible. As Patty the Batty was walking out, and he wasn't even the main event. That's why Dana White needs to get this guy over to America. 20,000 people chanting, oh, Patty the Batty. It was incredible, Luke. The fans were incredible. And after the fight, after an incredible, you know, performance from Patty the Batty, even though he said he didn't look great, which he lost the first round, there was no doubt about it, but he had a great takedown in the second round, got his uh, arm under the neck, and it was all over but the cry, and then there. He gave a great message about mental health, which is crazy after a UFC fight, but apparently 48 hours before the fight, 
one of his friends uh, committed suicide. And uh, he was crying in the ring and everything. And he had a great message, and I hope the listeners can hear this because it's incredible. It says, I would rather my friend, talking about men's, uh, you know, mental health, right? Because there's a stigma behind it, and that's very true. He said, I would much rather my friend come cry on my shoulder than me cry next week uh, carrying his coffin, you know? And so after a UFC fight, no, we don't like it to get serious too much on here, but I thought that was incredible, and what a performance those two put on. They weren't even the main event, and they still stole the show. It was incredible, great messaging. Dana White, you got to bring these people over to America. We need them in a main card, Luke Mar. Yeah, I guess so, and that is a, a great line from uh, Patty after, unfortunately, going through that right. loss of a, of a friend. I, I just had to Google him because uh, now I figured this was the guy. I saw this guy all over the internet over the weekend. I had no idea who he was. Yeah. So now I know who he is, but he's got kind of a goofy haircut. And he does. He, people, he was, everyone was tweeting about him, and I had no idea why. I didn't stop to actually read the tweets or look into it, but now I see this is the guy. I saw his face all weekend. Now I know why. Yeah, I mean, he's an absolute showstopper. He's incredible. He's the UFC's next star, basically. It's unbelievable from uh, Liverpool England absolutely he calls everybody lad it's unbelievable and it's funny about him he gets up to like 205 pounds he like eats a ton of pizza and ice cream and everything when he's not weight cutting uh -huh, yeah. cuts down to 155 for his fights it is absolutely insane what he does definitely not healthy but Dana White bring Molly the meatball and Patty the batty over to America let's get them in a main card in Vegas they will steal the show there's no doubt about it Luke Morrow also happened over the weekend Cindy McLaughlin continues her dominance dominance in the track and field world for the third time she has broken her own world record in the 400 meter hurdle she had a 40 meter lead going into the final stretch three times luke she broke it at the olympic trials uh and then she broke it in the semifinals and then she broke it again two days ago all her own world records absolutely incredible and then in the four by 400 which is a relay without hurdles obviously the u.s had a 0.73 lead going into the final leg cindy mclaughlin takes the baton they win by three and a half seconds it was absolutely incredible she right now even though allison felix has all the medals in track she is the greatest of all time it seems like as of right now and the winner of the women's 400 without hurdles ran a 49 and uh she ran a 50.75 with 10 hurdles in her way if that describes any type of speed Cindy mclaughlin from uh, the university of kentucky doing incredible things in the track and field world unbelievable to see an american dominance in track and field is back not only for the men but for the women as well a great weekend in the iaf world championships when it comes to breaking her own records, do you think she did that, like, intentionally to build up? Now she's got, like, the top three, no right? No doubt. I mean, and, Luke, when you watch these races, it's not even close. It, it really – it's like Usain Bolt when he, in, the, uh -huh. in the prelims, you know, when he was running the 200 and the 100. It's not even close. And Sidney McLaughlin is doing that right now. Uh, unbelievable to watch she's incredible yeah i mean that's amazing to have the top three now uh you know records it's fastest like, uh, of all time like yeah all three of them like we said last week you're a superhero it's such a cool um title to have and it's like back in the day of arcades you go play the pac-man machine you'd see somebody have the same the three highest scores for the same <laughs> initials same idea she's all over that leaderboard now yeah, it's, it's incredible and good for Cindy McLaughlin. At the age of 22, by the wow, way, 22 yeah. years old, her first appearance, she finished fifth in the Olympics in Rio when she was 16. Ooh. So, I mean, she is she's one of the greatest to ever do it. It's absolutely incredible. Luke, you know, I thought I was going to have a really good Monday, right? I woke up. I was feeling good. My buddies were in town uh, over the weekend, so we had a great weekend, right? Uh -huh. It was a good time. I go to cut on uh, Get Up this morning. Haven't checked my phone yet. I don't really like to check my phone as soon as I wake up. You know,
know, give myself some time, go get a coffee, this, that, and the other, go get a bagel, whatever I need to do. Kevin Durant potentially going to the Boston Celtics absolutely ruins me as a human being. Uh, I thought he was going to come to the Heat or the Suns, and now the Celtics are in play. But it makes complete sense if he goes to the Celtics because they have enough pieces to give up. If they give up Jalen Brown, a bunch of draft picks, potentially Robert Williams, now you have Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant together on the same team. That is absolutely lethal. And I feel like the Celtics also have enough bench players where if they don't want to get rid of Robert Williams and just get rid of Jalen Brown, you can package Grant Williams and a couple other guys, uh, potentially Tice, I believe, their center. You throw him in there with about four first-round picks, get Kevin Durant. Now your big three is Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, and Kevin Durant. The East is in trouble, Luke, if this happens. I personally, as a Miami Heat fan, I hate this. There's no doubt about it, but I understand it from a basketball standpoint. If he joins the Boston Celtics, we'll probably see a rematch of the Warriors and Celtics in the finals. Yeah, I think it would be a good match for Boston. I think it would be cool to have Durant in Boston. Obviously, they love their basketball there. Durant's a star. That would be a cool little combination. I'm curious to see what happens. We know Danny Ainge was pretty aggressive running the Celtics, and now with the Jazz, he's trying to make all sorts of moves. This is the first chance for Brad Stevens to kind of show us what he's got or his style. There was a report just a week ago that Brad Stevens said he's not expecting to make any more big moves this offseason. Now these reports come out. I don't know if he was being coy or if he was being authentic. But that's been some of the talk of, you know, you knew what to expect with Danny Ainge. We don't really know what Brad Stevens is. He a guy that's willing to uh, mortgage the farm a little bit to go for it like a Durant? Or is he going to be a little more conservative and try to continue to play, you know, build up just these young guys where you can have them for a number of years? This is your your core that you build around for years to come. We'll find out what kind of uh, GM Brad Stevens is going to be for the Celtics. But, yeah, it would be a big gap. And I saw one of them, I think it was Jalen Brown himself, tweeted smh shaking yeah, my head yeah, yeah. Uh, so with, with some of these rumors so uh we'll see what happens there but that would be a good fit if you could put durant anywhere just as an average basketball fan like what's good for the league him in boston i think is pretty cool for the nba yeah i mean that that'd be incredible just out and not me taking my heat fan right. out of it for yeah. the game that would be absolutely insane and it's good when you think about it for jason tatum to learn yeah. from a guy like kevin durant and to see how greatness actually you know unfolds year after year because he hasn't had that mentor in the NBA just yet. He's had to do it all by himself. I think those two could really learn from each other. A great fit. Great yeah, and we, fit. And we saw last year Tatum's not ready to no. put the team on his back to go win a championship. He's good. Not that good. But you could he, he'll get you to the, the final and then that's where Durant could be that guy that takes over we believe still at his age with his you know ankle issues and his Achilles issues. Uh, but, yeah, that would be a good pairing for the two of them as well, for Durant and Tatum to play off of one another. Yeah, no, no doubt. And people forget that Kevin Durant was finals MVP, I believe, both years with Golden State. So, yeah, he joined Golden State, but at the same time, he showed up in the finals. That's a pro's pro. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. Luke, uh, you know, Get Up is a good show, right? We enjoy Get Up. There's a couple people on there I don't enjoy, but that's, you know, personal reasons here. But they did have a good exercise that I wanted to get your opinion on because, you know, we play some games around here. We do segments, things of that nature. But right now, if you were to start an NFL team, who would be the starting quarterback? Who would you take out of all 32 starting quarterbacks to be your guy? If you want to know my answer, I'll give it to you. It was probably the most popular answer this morning. That being another than Josh Allen. I would start wow. my franchise right now with Josh Allen, not only because the massive arm, the live arm, but his running ability. I think those two, he's better than everybody in the NFL when it comes to those two outside of Lamar Jackson, obviously. I put the audio in the system, actually. I, I think it's something we may get to tomorrow. Um, 
Because I saw this, and I saw someone say Josh Allen, someone said Justin Herbert. I still think Patrick Mahomes is the most obvious one. Mm. If I had to start any franchise, I think I'd go Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but I think the, the difference in answers shows the type of place the NFL's in, that we have so many talented yeah. young quarterbacks. But I think still the answer's got to be, if I could have anybody, I think i got to go Mahomes to start uh, my, my franchise with. Yeah, no doubt. And Mahomes does have that running ability as well. He can scramble and get out. I just love the way Josh Allen plays the game. I, I, there's something about him that's just got this little chip on his shoulder. We'll see, though, because the Bills are Super Bowl favorites. they got the highest win total, and Josh Allen's the MVP favorite. Usually when you have those things, three things it ain't gonna work out in your favor but we will see one last thing here training camp has begun in the yeah. nfl luke morrow so it's obvious i'm gonna make a pick on the hall of fame game coming up in a couple <laughs> weeks there is an absolute lock everybody's just overlooking it the jaguars are a two-point underdog against the las vegas raiders if the jaguars are going to win any football games this season it's going to be the hall of fame game first out of the gate trevor lawrence will probably play a little bit you won't see Derek carr you won't see Devontae adams any of the stars for the raiders there might be a couple stars for the jaguars if, if you consider christian kirk a star or uh, trevor lawrence right now but jags money line it's all day long i already put my ticket in there's no doubt about it i'm rolling with the jaguars this would be one of their best performances of the season in this hall of fame game there's no <laughs> doubt about it august 4th was that next next thursday you got about like 11 days wow. 12 days till the hall of fame game it's we back. have nfl football that's amazing um, I like I, I, hey, I like the thought process. I think Doug Peterson, I had this theory last year, and I had the data at the time to back it up. I don't have it now. But if you bet first-year head coaches in preseason, especially at home, they always do well because they want to make it, even though it's only preseason, it's the first chance you have to get a look at them. And so I had that theory last year. with Ur I thought Urban Meyer's going to want to prove himself. You got Trevor Lawrence. He's going to play Lawrence a little bit more than some other guys. I told you, and honestly, I didn't circle back to see if it was successful or not. Obviously, you don't want to bet on them in the regular season. But I told you a year ago, bet on the Jaguars in the preseason. And I don't remember how they ended up doing. But same idea. Now Doug Peterson comes in. So, again, same idea. First-year head coach for Jacksonville. Here's a national stage. He wants to show out. You have Trevor Lawrence, who still needs to prove himself. Maybe he'll play, actually play in the Hall of Fame game. Sometimes the starting quarterbacks don't. Maybe Lawrence will actually play a few series. Uh, so, you know, hey, it's not a bad logic. Uh, you could probably just flip a coin and, and – Take your pick because you're going to get down to, like, the fourth quarterbacks in these games. Roll with the Jags in the preseason, folks. Roll yeah. with the Lions in the preseason. Yes. You know, roll with the Seahawks in the preseason. All these guys are going to show out in the preseason. The safest bet is always the Ravens. They're, they, Absolutely. They've, what, won, like, 19 straight preseason games? Something ridiculous <laughs> like that? They're they, the best preseason team ever. Harbaugh loves yeah. those preseason games. Oh, yeah, he doesn't take them lightly. <laughs> uh, he makes those guys go out there and play and play to win the games. Uh, I don't remember the exact number. I think it's like 19 straight. Where they covered the spread, 19 straight, something along those lines. Um, so yeah, if you're somebody that's looking to, to scratch that itch here this month uh, and don't want to wait till the regular season, look at the Ravens in the preseason. And uh, evidently, I guess the Jaguars in the Hall of Fame game next week. We're gonna spend all three hours breaking down the Hall of Fame game next week when we get there. I cannot wait. I'll have all my <laughs> notes ready to go. Breaking down the uh, <laughs> like the 12th offensive lineman on the team. You'll see play half the game. His feet were good, but you, you know we need to see some more improvement. <laughs> it's an exciting time though when you get the preseason. I love preseason. I remember my uncle came over once and he was making fun of us because my dad and I were watching preseason NFL games on the DVR. We, I love preseason football. I don't give me football, you know, throughout the summer. I watch the CFL this time of year. I love preseason, and you get a look at some guys. Like, oh, I remember watching him in college. Uh, you get to see how they do in the NFL. So I love preseason football. I'm looking forward to that Hall of Fame game next week. And bet the Jaguars now while you still can. <laughs> we'll wrap up hour two when we come back. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Here's what happened when they decided to 
It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio, wrapping up Hour 2. We have a situation here. During the commercial break, I developed some hiccups. Oh, jeez. So we're going to have to clear this out for Hour (laughs) 3. Trent's going to have to scare me. Get rid of these hiccups. I usually get the silent hiccups. Like, I don't make a noise, but I have that hiccup, and it interrupts your your speech. So uh, we're going to – we may have to deal with that. I don't know. Maybe it goes away naturally as I start talking. I have a few tricks. We'll get rid of the hiccups. Get ready for Hour 3. And try to make. I've never had an issue like this. There was one funny exchange a few years ago when the uh, when Sweeney Murdy, who does the post game show for the New York Yankees, got the hiccups so bad, and they were audible hiccups, and he couldn't get through a sentence. He kept hiccuping, and he had to send it to commercial breaks. And I don't think he ever got it solved. And that, for as a broadcaster, I can tell you, that's a nightmare. If you ever have an issue, you're not feeling well, uh, you got hiccups, whatever it is, when you can't, uh, uh, you don't have your voice, you can't broadcast. Or, God forbid, like you can't sit there for three hours because, you know, you got to run to the john or something. You're not feeling well. I think we're okay. I think I may have already studied the ships, got rid of the the hiccups, and we'll get ready for uh, hour three. Coming up, we'll touch on the Tennessee violations. Also, is this going to be the best Heisman race we've ever had? And Gamecock fans, I know, are excited about Gigi Jackson. Who will have the greater impact, Gigi or Spencer Rattler? Plenty more to do in hour three. Coming up next, it's the Morning Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Hour three of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we'll touch on Tennessee's violations, their football program, because, um, you know, funny's not the right term, but there's a somewhat of a humorous paradox with that whole situation, and we'll touch on that coming up as the Tennessee football program's getting in trouble. Plus, could this be the greatest Heisman race we've ever had? We love hyperbole. In this industry, we'll touch on that later on. And it's an exciting time to be a Gamecock fan. You bring in Spencer Rattler, now Gigi Jackson commits over the weekend. Who will make the bigger impact in their time with the Gamecocks? Get to that coming up here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. And the podcast is also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there, click on our show page, leave a comment for the show, find the podcast there, take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. You can stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Also get in touch with the show on Twitter at Morrow Middays. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734, or join the conversation on the phones, 843-721-9500. I'm happy to report, I think my hiccups, knock on wood, naturally went away. It was just a brief bout of hiccups from the commercial break into that last segment. Now they're gone, and I didn't even have to do anything. I have found a trick, though, right, that uh, people always try different things. 
one that's worked perfectly for me in the last couple of years since I discovered it online, you breathe out three times without breathing in. You do like three short breaths, and then like the last one, you breathe all the way out, get all the air out, and then you have to hold your breath for a few seconds. And that's been fantastic. So if you ever get hiccups and you don't know how to get rid of them or you struggle to get rid of them, that trick works for me. It has worked about 98% of the time. You give like three breaths out and get all the air out of your system, and then you have to hold your breath for a moment. And then you breathe back in, hiccups be gone. I shouldn't say there's not a lot of things more frustrating than hiccups, but when you have the hiccups and you can't get rid of them, that is such an annoyance especially if you're in a role where you have to be talking. But it's just, it's an un, it's a, it's not a pleasant like feeling when you hiccup. It's a weird sound. It's annoying. Ah, it's the worst. So anyways, hopefully they don't come back. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. I like this question on the text line. Somebody asked, who needed Gigi Jackson more? Lamont Paris, to give him some clout with the Gamecock fans, or the basketball program at Carolina to give it some relevance? You know, it's exciting times to be a Gamecock fan now. Spencer Rattler, Gigi Jackson both come into the building. Spencer Rattler's the greatest on paper quarterback they've ever had. Gigi Jackson's the greatest basketball player on paper that they've ever had, at least in the modern era of recruiting. It's exciting. Who will have the bigger impact? Let me first answer that question on the text line. I think it's bigger for Lamont Paris than the program. And maybe the two go hand-in-hand hand where, you know, the, the, the clout that Lamont Paris gets – goes in line with the relevance of the basketball program. The program has to be relevant for Lamont Paris to try to prove himself and vice versa. If he's proven himself, it means the program's relevant. Maybe they go hand in hand, but I think it's more important for Lamont Paris because in order to build off of whatever Gigi Jackson brings, I think that falls on Lamont Paris and trying to build with that program. And if Lamont Paris cannot bring in other good recruits in future years because of Gigi Jackson's arrival, well, then he'll lose the job, but also you lose all that, any of that cachet you built up with Gigi Jackson. So it falls on Lamont Paris's shoulders to keep this going. Gigi Jackson's a huge get this past weekend, but that can't be the end of it. This is just the start. He hasn't even coached a game yet. Now you have to take that and use that to further build the program. And if you do, then comes the relevance to that basketball program. So I think it falls more on Lamont Paris's shoulders, and it's a bigger deal for him. The relevance that it brings to the program could be good. Maybe you sell more tickets. Right? Maybe you get some better TV slots, more eyes on the program because Gigi Jackson's there. But that goes away once the once the, the kid's gone, and then it just falls on the head coach of like, okay, well, now here's the program. Gigi Jackson's not here anymore. What are you going to do to continue to further this program beyond just the one season with them? So I think it's bigger for the Montpellier. And then also the other part of it too is just a first-time coach in the SEC trying to prove himself. And now you get this kid, and you steal him away from UNC, and you keep him local, it is a big-time get. That's a big win for a guy who's never coached a game in the SEC or with South Carolina before. I mean, this is his first win to get Gigi Jackson. So I do think it's bigger for Lamont Paris. And I also think it falls more on Lamont Paris' shoulders, too, moving forward now, to try to uh, have this be the foundation, the building block, not the pinnacle. But which one could have a bigger impact, Gigi Jackson or Spencer Rattler with the Gamecocks? As I said earlier, individually, I think Gigi, because, I mean, he's believed to be one and done. He's believed to be a top pick in the NBA a year from now. Spencer Rattler, man, we still don't know. Is he going to be a first-round pick a year from now? Maybe. We'll see how he does. And basketball, it's just it's the sport. Basketball, one guy can make all the difference. We've seen that in the NBA. 
LeBron James, wherever he goes, suddenly his teams become championship contenders, and then once he leaves, they go back to being last-place teams. In football, it's just different. You need those around you to be successful. It's more of a team sport. Basketball is all about the stars. Football is the team game. And for Spencer Rattler to be successful, you got to protect him, and you have to have good targets, and you got to be on the same page with your guys, and you got to have a good play caller. And Even the schedule, right? The SEC is going to be tough. It's tougher in football than it is in basketball. So from an individual perspective, I think Gigi Jackson stands, you know, he has the better chance of, of having a better season this year than even Spencer Rattler. But from a program perspective, I think Spencer Rattler could be more impactful for Gamecock football than Gigi Jackson could be for basketball. The two points I've been trying to drive home, and if you are a frequent listener of the show, you're probably sick of hearing about them. But my two concerns for Gigi and the Gamecocks basketball program, number one is the idea that one recruit changes everything for a basketball program. I'm sure we could come up with examples where that is the case, but there are plenty of examples in just recent years alone when that wasn't the case. And in the last about five years, you could point to Anthony Edwards with Georgia or Kate Cunningham at Oklahoma State or Jalen Brown with Cal, Ben Simmons, LSU, Lonzo Ball, UCLA, Darius Garland, Vanderbilt, Markel Fultz at Washington. Just a few examples from the last couple of years where they got big-time recruits, right? top recruits, drafted at the top of the draft, and you thought, great, this is going to make our program take off. And then you look in the years that followed, and it really didn't impact recruiting. In fact, when the Gamecocks made the Final Four, that really didn't impact recruiting, not like it does for a lot of other schools. It made no difference. My second concern in all of this, as I oftentimes play the role of a wet blanket, is uh, just that when you bring in a G.G. Jackson, there's pressure now on Lamont Paris before he even coaches a game. And I compared it earlier to Mike McDaniel of the Dolphins. You go out, you trade for Tyreek Hill, you have all that talent there. There's no learning curve. He's got to go win right away. And before he's even coached a game, we're already getting stories last week about, hey, Sean Payton will be really interested in Miami a year from now. Well, that job's not open, at least not yet. And before we open it, can we see the current guy that they just hired? Can we see him coach a few games first to see how he does? For Lamont Paris, it's somewhat similar in that before his team even steps on the floor this year, you get Gigi Jackson, there's going to be a little pressure now. You can't go out there and, and be, you know, uh, whatever, 6-12 and 12 in the SEC and finish in the, the bottom four. Like, you got to have a decent year. You don't have to go win the conference. You know, but can you be competitive? And then... Can you improve recruiting around here because of Gigi Jackson? Can you keep the top talent in the state? Was Gigi Jackson still just an outlier, or is it the start of something? We'll find out, but that falls on the shoulders of Lamont Paris, and it's how he's going to be judged, fair or otherwise. No learning curve, no time to build a program. Don't worry about your culture. you got to win now. And you just brought in Gigi Jackson, one of the top two players potentially in the country. So while it's exciting, and rightfully so, and he's a great player on paper, and you should be happy you got him if you're a Gamecock fan, the concerns are, number one, eh, maybe it doesn't actually impact recruiting like we think. And number two, it just makes things harder on Lamont Paris now moving forward. But when it comes to Spencer Rattler with football, I think football, we do have more proof of this actually happening where you get one quarterback and it's a springboard to more quarterbacks. Because basketball is more of an independent sport. You can go anywhere and be fine. Football, eh, coaching is important. The schedule and the conference is important. The pieces around you are important. And once Oklahoma, once Lincoln Riley showed, hey, I could turn any of these transfers into Heisman quarterbacks, everybody wanted to go there. When Clemson showed, like, hey, we're actually competing at a high level and we're turning guys into NFL quarterbacks, they're getting all, all sorts of big-time quarterbacks year after year. 
But South Carolina has never had an all-conference quarterback in the SEC or even a quarterback go in the first round. If Spencer Rattler, say, say he does one or both of those two things, right, he can open some doors for the Gamecocks. And we know quarterback is the most important position in all of sports. I think a quarterback is more important than even a star in basketball. And it's hard. To, it's apples and oranges. It'd be like, you know, who would you rather have, Tom Brady or LeBron James? It's hard to try to debate it. You'd take both. But I do think we see more teams in the NBA win as teams without a star as we do in the NFL seeing teams win without a quarterback. I think good quarterbacks have a higher win rate in the in football in general than even stars in basketball, and then vice versa. I think uh, basketball teams that are more about the team than a star, especially at the college level, win more than football teams that are good teams but don't have a good quarterback. That's what holds you back. If you're a Gamecock fan, you're excited because now you have a quarterback. I mean, there were only 500 last year, and yet people are picking South Carolina to win the SEC this year. You wouldn't do that if they still had uh, Zeb Nolan, whatever his name was. I'll try to block those memories. Right? If, even if they had Holinsky and Doty and all the other – Jake Bentley even from a few years ago. Like, they were 6-6 six and six last year. Year two of Shane Beamer. They still have some holes. You're not going to pick them to win the SEC, but you bring in a Spencer Rattler. It's like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. This is the kid we thought was going to be the Heisman and then the first overall pick. If he plays like he did at times as a freshman, this team could be something. And it's the same reason why people have concerns, myself included, about Clemson. You know, they got a great head coach, got a great defense, talented running back, weaker conference, but there's still a reason for pause because you just don't know about that quarterback. Quarterback's everything. And if Spencer Rattler's good enough, he can open that door for other quarterbacks to come through for the Gamecocks, which could change everything. So who could have the greatest impact individually? I think Gigi Jackson could have a better first year on the court with the Gamecocks than Rattler could on the field. The SEC in football is really tough. His weapons won't be as good as Oklahoma. Coaching probably won't be as good as Oklahoma. You know, he got benched last year. Maybe he'll struggle. But in terms of who could have the greater impact, depending or um, who could have the greater impact, assuming they both have good seasons, I think a good year for Spencer Rattler means more to the football program down the road than a good year for Gigi Jackson means to the basketball program. Rattler could open more doors than Gigi Jackson could for the future of said program. So if you could only pick one, right? I guess that's what we're getting. That's the crux of all this. If you told me I could only pick one of those two to be successful, Spencer Rattler or Gigi Jackson, I would say Spencer Rattler. Because number one, even if you're passionate about basketball, you care more about the football team. And then number two, he'll have a bigger impact on the future, hopefully getting you more talented quarterbacks down the road than Gigi would. Because I can count to, uh, I could point to countless examples of other colleges getting great basketball players, and it doesn't do anything for him. Georgia gets Anthony Edwards. They still finish in like last place in the SEC. He's the number one pick in the draft. Tom Crean's fired you know, 18 months later. The program doesn't see any sort of improvement from that great player coming in. The recruiting doesn't change. They're still in the toilet of the SEC. It made no difference, and that's just one example. But you get a quarterback in there. You get a jo- Josh uh, Heupel to come to Oklahoma. Now suddenly it leads to some Heisman winners in the next 20 years. You get even, um, you know, Taj Boyd, of all guys, to come to Clemson. Now here comes Deshaun and Trevor Lawrence, and even if you want to include Kelly Bryan and, you know, DJ and Klubnik and potentially Arch Manning was considering the school and everybody else since then. The quarterback could have the greater impact than the star basketball player. 
When we come back, speaking of which, could this be the greatest Heisman race we've ever had? We'll get to that. That was a conversation on ESPN. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Take your pictures down and check it out. Truth or consequence, say it aloud. Use that evidence, race it around. There goes my hero. Watch him as he goes. Could we have the greatest Heisman race in college football history this year? It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Now, I love what I get to do for a living. I love this industry, but at the same time, oftentimes, if you listen to the show, you'll hear that I'll also complain about certain things in the industry. And one of those things, and I try to avoid it here, and I think we do a pretty good job, but it's the, the hyperbolic nature of said industry. So we're heading into this year. And when you look at college football, we're looking at three quarterbacks. And you're looking at uh, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Caleb Williams. Now, in the case of Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, they're on what we believe are the two best teams in college football. And then you get to Caleb Williams, and I'll tell you, and maybe it's just because of the odds, but USC has been the team that's been bet on more than anybody else this offseason to win the national championship. Again, you know they give you a better payout than if you bet the favorites, so I'm sure that plays a part, but... You wouldn't be making that bet if you didn't think there was a chance of it hitting. So a lot of people like USC this year. Why? Because, well, they have the three best quarterbacks. So you're giving me three top-end quarterback talent on three potentially you know, big-time programs. Could be really good. They're also big brands, good coaches, quarterbacks that could put up big numbers. If it really does come down to those three throughout the year, it could be a lot of fun. Each week, we're watching these quarterbacks put up big numbers. You're watching them all win their games. You're waiting for that matchup of Alabama, Ohio State, and a national championship. You're hoping maybe USC gets to the playoff. You want to see Caleb Williams there. Maybe they all win their conferences. It does have the makings of being a really fun race this year if it comes down to those three. Two concerns, though, two issues for me on the whole premise. Number one is that usually it doesn't work out as we expect. We go into the year thinking, yeah, these are the three guys, and then one of them maybe doesn't do as well as you expected. Somebody else surprises you and pops up. It's usually not exactly, you know, as uh, predictable as college football can be. Football is also still, at the end of the day, you know, the most unpredictable sport. We, we still don't really know what's going to transpire. And the second part to it as well is that when we say the greatest Heisman race of all time, I mean, we're ignoring a lot of history. That's a, that's a big phrase being thrown around. And it's something that we do oftentimes where it's more about a feel. We'll say, like, oh, yeah, that guy's top five basketball player of all time. It's like, okay, well, make your top five list. And then when you try to do it, you realize, like, oh, actually, I would put this guy ahead of him, this guy ahead of him. We don't sit down and actually think about these things. It's more like a figure of speech that we don't really mean literally. So when people say, like, oh, the greatest Heisman race of all time, well, you got to actually think about years past and compare what this year could bring to some great years in the past. I think it's more just a figure of speech. What you're really saying is the idea of this could be a great Heisman race. We don't need to call it the greatest, but it, it could be a lot of fun. 
You can call me the wet blanket around here, right? Because I'm just dousing water on everything today. All these uh, hot takes. But this was a, a conversation piece on uh, Get Up. And Heather Dinich and uh, RG3 were talking about this. About is this the greatest Heisman race we'll ever have? Here is Heather Dinich on uh, her thoughts on who she thinks will end up winning the Heisman this year. Here's what she said on Get Up. I'm going to go with C.J. Shroud. I love Ohio State. I love the hire of Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator. I actually talked to two of their players yesterday on defense who said they think that they've got a chance to get that missing piece of the puzzle to get back to the national title. And when you look at all the playmakers that he has around him, I think Shroud is certainly capable of it because Ohio State is capable of it. Here at SEC Media Days, everybody's talking about Alabama and Georgia. Sorry, guys. I'm going with the Buckeyes. That's Heather Dinich's take, C.J. Shroud. Now, her main focus was on defense, and you may be wondering, like, why does she reference the new defensive coordinator? But because we know the idea usually is the best player on the best team is going to win this thing, or at least be considered. And so, if the defense is better this year, that was kind of the missing link there for Ohio State. They're already number one in offense last year. Now this year, C.J. Shroud's back. Wide receiving core is still really good. Ryan Day obviously still calling the plays. And if the defense is better, well, last year they didn't win the Big Ten. Michigan took their spot in the playoff. This year, if the defense is better, that could be the missing piece. They could get back to that playoff. And if Ohio State's competing for the national championship and C.J. Stroud's putting up big numbers, of course he's going to be right in there in the Heisman race. It's more encompassing than just simply looking at the guy. Uh, you have to look at how the team does. Then we usually focus on quarterbacks, which takes me to this from RG3, where he was offering up a few different names that could be in the running uh, to talk about maybe you know how deep college football could be this year. Part of the reason why maybe this race will be really interesting. Here was Robert Griffin III, who knows a thing or two about Heisman races. Here was his take on the potential Heisman race of this season. I'm rocking with, you got C.J. Stroud, you got Caleb Williams. You know, even out there at, at USC with Caleb, you got Mara Williams, the wide receiver, and, and Jordan Addison, uh, the wide receiver there. We're going to see a lot of Heisman candidates that end up being on the same team. Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, unbelievable wide receiver. And Travion Henderson, if he was on any other team, he might be a Heisman frontrunner as well. So it, a lot of these guys are going to knock themselves out because you can't have four or five guys from one team all end up in New York and that's what Desmond's saying there's going to be somebody that comes from behind that we're not even talking about right now that is going to end up in New York like Aiden Hutchinson did last year the boogeyman no one expected him to be the runner-up but he was there whereas Spencer Rattler and DJ Uyunglele ended up not having the years that we expected Robert Griffin breaking it down yeah see that's always the issue for guys who are not quarterbacks and this is the same in the NFL for all the wards in football if a wide receiver puts up big numbers and you say that guy should be the MVP, well, the problem is all those numbers come from the quarterback. So now the quarterback has all of those numbers as well as all the numbers involving other guys. So if a wide receiver has a big year, a quarterback's probably going to have an even bigger year. So when you look at, like, the Rams last year and you try to compare Stafford to Cooper Cup and you talk about who had the more outstanding year or who was more valuable, I mean, you know, Cup obviously played a huge role, maybe the best receiver in the league. But if you're just simply comparing numbers, you know, Stafford has all of those numbers and then everybody else as well. And then you could also say, well, you know, the quarterback has to get him the football. So point being, a lot of times it's an uphill battle for anybody that's not a quarterback because the quarterback's the most impactful, it's the most important position, and if you're having success, it's probably tied to the quarterback's success as well. And since the quarterback's also doing other things on top of that, we look at them more favorably than a wide receiver, a tight end, a running back, whatever the position on offense may be. The other point that RG3 mentioned, which is a good one, is that if you have too much talent on a team, you can kind of cross each other off. 
Um, you know, if you have two talented wide receivers, then like Alabama last year had two 1,000-yard receivers. It, it's kind of uh, instead of just one guy going for 1,700 yards, right? You're, you're, you're divvying up the, the catches a little bit more. So that can make it a little more challenging as well. But getting back to the original idea, which was the question or the thought they were talking about on ESPN during those conversations, could this be the greatest Heisman race of all time? If we look back just in the last you know dozen years, there have been some good ones. In fact, the best one in terms of like the closest may be 2009 when there was no clear-cut Heisman winner that year. Mark Ingram ended up winning it from uh, Alabama. I probably would have voted for uh, Toby Gerhardt, who finished in second for Stanford. And then you had Colt McCoy in third, and they were all separated by about 160 votes was all from first to third. Even fourth place was Sue at Nebraska at the time, and he uh, finished about 450 votes behind first place. So you had four guys within about 450 votes, which is pretty darn close. Just the difference between Ingram and Toby Gerhardt was one of the closest Heisman races we've ever had. Then you factor in third place wasn't that far behind. Even fourth place wasn't that far behind compared to most years. So 2009, it wasn't three quarterbacks. It wasn't three guys on teams competing for a national championship, but it was maybe the closest race, closest three-way race we've ever had. And that was just about 13 years ago. Fast forward a few years to 2011 where you had the aforementioned RG3 win the Heisman, but it was him and Andrew Luck, which was a great race between two talented quarterbacks, top two picks in the draft. And then you had Trent Richardson finish third in the voting, and he was relatively close as well. Uh, Robert Griffin and Andrew Luck were very close. And then a little bit further down was Trent Richardson finishing in third place with fewer than 1,000 votes. Robert Griffin won with almost 1,700. So there was a pretty sizable gap. But just that race you had of RG3 and Andrew Luck. And then even Trent Richardson at Alabama, you know, the running back that was in the competition that was having a pretty good year, he was drafted uh, high. In fact, weren't those the top three? Or did Richardson go four? But, you know, they were all taken at the very top of the draft. We know Trent Richardson then didn't work out. A few years later, in 2015, we had a good Heisman race where, again, it wasn't three quarterbacks. It was two running backs. You had Derrick Henry, you had Christian McCaffrey, and you had Deshaun Watson finish in third. And Deshaun finished fewer than 700 votes out of first place. Derrick Henry beat McCaffrey by about 300 votes. Watson was about 300 behind McCaffrey. So not bad. You had three guys all receive almost 1,200-plus votes. Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, and Deshaun Watson. That was 2015. And then the other one I would mention was, um, well, just a couple years ago, 2020, when you had Devontae Smith win, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones finished second and third. All three received more than 1,100 votes. But the gap ended up being pretty big where Smith beat Trevor Lawrence by almost 700 votes. Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones were almost tied for second. But those were three guys that all had big years on big-time programs and have gone on to be good picks in the NFL so far. But that's another example. Uh, that's actually an outlier to what I said earlier where Devontae Smith did win and his quarterback finished in third. Usually the quarterback is given all the credit for the wide receiver success. And the quarterback usually fares better than the receiver in these awards. That was not the case uh, just two years ago. And then if you want to look at, you know, some other years where in 2019 we had three quarterbacks competing in Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, and Justin Fields, who all had good years. But that was a runaway for Joe Burrow, who had almost three times as many votes as anybody else. He was the clear-cut winner. So even though we had three quarterbacks uh, if memory serves, I think that all three play in the playoff. They're all in competition. 
maybe Oklahoma was that the maybe they didn't go that year. I don't know. Jalen Hurts, you know, obviously been to the playoffs. Um, but all three quarterbacks, three big programs. Burrow goes on to win the national championship. They they all uh, get drafted in the uh, in the uh, NFL draft. But Burrow was such a runaway. So when we look at this year, you have the makings of what could be a really good Heisman race. Three quarterbacks that should all be really good at three big time programs. Ideally, competing all three of them for the national championship, but to call it the greatest of all time is just big praise. You only have to go back to about 13 years ago to find one that was separated by 150 votes for the top three spots. I don't think we get that this year. And you only have to go back a few years to see some others that had a great three-way race as well. What makes this intriguing is again the fact that it's three quarterbacks. Usually, when we've had really close Heisman races, there's a running back, there's a wide receiver. This is three quarterbacks, and that's always most interesting when we're talking quarterbacks. Can these quarterbacks go win the national championship? Is this a franchise guy? Who's going to be drafted first? When are they going to be drafted? Yada, yada, yada. When you have three quarterbacks competing, we think the three best players are all quarterbacks at big-time schools. That does make it more intriguing. If all three hold up their end of the bargain, it should be a lot of fun. But I guess the message in all this is let's always avoid hyperbole by saying it's going to be the greatest Heisman race. That's, that's ignoring a lot of other I mean, years, decades of Heisman races where some of them are really good and really tight. This one could be another good one, but a lot of times things don't exactly pan out how we expect, and there are always some surprises in there as well. We'll see if that's the case this year. When we come back, we'll touch on the whole uh, Tennessee uh, scandal with that announcement coming out on Friday. It's the More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. I'll send an SOS to the world. I'll send an SOS to the world. I hope that someone gets mad. I hope that someone gets mad. I hope that someone gets my message in a bottle. Coming up, we'll touch on the uh, violations against Tennessee and the news that officially came out Friday after we were off the air here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. It's radio, so you can't see, but I am clean-shaven. Yeah, it's For the it's first wild. time in four years, I think it was. Folks, I've known Luke uh, going on about, what, a year and a half now, yeah, I think. Like yeah, yeah, I've worked here for about a year and a half, and I've never – I was shocked this morning when you came out of a door, and it, it was <laughs> just like a, a new man, a new man. You look my age, pal. Oh, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Ten, shaved 10 years off? And people always joke around here that you and I look yes. alike, and with the with the clean-shaven face, it is, it's pretty scary. It's Absolutely. pretty scary. And then we share the same office. <laughs> We're going to be all sorts of confused when they walk in there. They don't know which one of us it's going to be. Twin-time radio, baby. Yeah. That's how we do it. When I walked in this morning, our uh, I feel like she's not a secretary, but our, the woman that sits up front didn't know who I was. She thought I was, you know, how can I help you? And I said, hey, good morning. Oh, it's you. She had no idea. You look like a whole new person. You shaved the beard off. You do. You really do. And uh, that was the reason why. You said I look 10 years younger. That's why I always grew facial hair because uh, <laughs> I wanted to look older. And I said, you know what? I had, a, I had a, uh, an epiphany over the weekend where I said they don't spray paint the Sistine Chapel. They don't put bumper <laughs> stickers on like a Maserati or anything. What am I doing 
hiding up this beautiful face. Yeah, exactly. So we released it to the world. Man, all right, folks, I was shocked. I, I was shocked. I started screaming. I said, whoa, <laughs> who, who's this guy? Wait a minute. Now, the best part when you shave off a beard, and I didn't have like the fullest beard. It wasn't like some sort of ZZ Top beard, but it was a, it was a full beard. The best part is that you can play around with different things to so see mm-hmm. how you look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I did the goatee look. Not bad. Not bad? I might try to, as I grow my hair back, my beard back now, I may just go with the goatee. I'll tell you. Look out. Then I also tried, of course, our guy, the Johnny Depp look of, like, the mustache and just the chin. Absolutely. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah. Not bad. You go Top Gun? Did you go Top Gun? I just went just mu- Oh, yeah. Went just mustache. Nice. Looks pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I would rock it, like, ironically, like, sarcastically. Right, I right. know it doesn't look good, but I'd wear the mustache just because it looks so ridiculous. But that's actually my question. You know, because I watch... Um, a lot of baseball. I watch the Yankees a lot, hoping to see them lose. And <laughs> they can't have beards, so they all rock the mustaches. Matt Carpenter, Nestor Cortez, they got to have something. They figure this is the only facial hair I can have, so I'll, I'll do the mustache. Uh, there are even reports about Luis Castillo doesn't want to be traded to the Yankees because he'd have to cut off his uh, long hair. He doesn't want to do it. My question, though, about the mustache, you referenced Top Gun. Does the mustache, will it ever have a place in society again, or is it only for, you know, wearing ironically or, like, state troopers? Is the mustache ever <laughs> going to be fashionable again in, in this society? I don't know. I mean, I think back to some of the great mustaches out there. Tom Selleck, obviously, yeah. is one that you think about, and he can rock it. Now, I will say, after the Top Gun movie, a lot of, you know, the younger women out there in the world are really enjoying the stash look. That is in for summer 2022 as really? of right now. Now, when the wintertime comes around, and sweaters started, you know, wearing. Who knows if you're going to want to see somebody with just a stash. You probably got to go the full beard. Mustaches right now, though, Luke Morrow, are in. They are all the way back. Interesting. Yeah, mustaches used to be, they used to be, back in the, I guess, when Top Gun first came out. As you said, Tom Selleck, Don Mattingly had a great mustache. Uh, I mean, Alex Trebek used to have a great mustache. Used to be a quite the look. My grandfather used to have a mustache back in the day. Now... Yeah, mustaches, I don't know what happened. They're not really cool anymore. I feel like uh, for a while, mustaches had a negative connotation, you know, when it, uh, you know, the 70s, 80s, things of that nature. People stopped rocking the mustache. But, yeah. hey, if you can get a full stash with nothing else and it looks good, you know, good on you. Good yeah. on you. Maybe I'll just bring back the mustache then. We'll see. Yeah, there you go. But it's a fresh start now. Maybe I'm going to stay clean shaven. I don't really know. I like to have some sort of facial hair. Make myself feel older. I tell you what, Luke. I, I mean, folks, I cannot reiterate enough how surprised I was <laughs> this morning. Because I look at this guy every single day yeah. for three-plus hours. You, you know, I was shocked. I feel like I'm looking at myself in a mirror right That's now. That's right. <laughs> Everyone's surprised. Everyone's got a comment when they see Clean Shaven. First, first time uh, first time since I started here, I think. So, yeah, no one's seen me without a beard. It's been about four years. From the moment I could actually grow a full beard, I said, all right, this is going to be the thing now. i got to get the beard. Uh, so I don't look as young as I actually am. I look a little older. And then now I figured, well, why am I hiding up this beautiful face? So now it's it's out in the world. You're welcome, world. We had um, violations uh, uh, announced. Some, we, ha- we we knew it was coming for, for Tennessee, and uh, they parted with Jeremy Pruitt, and we always heard the reports of, you know, handing money in McDonald's bags to, to uh, recruits. Well, Friday after we got off the air, it was uh, some of the information was released and announced, and Tennessee football now faces potential scholarship cuts and vacated wins for 18 level one NCAA violations. Uh, there are some big time penalties. There are reports of buying fast food for kids, uh, of like uh, nail salon appointments that I guess are for mothers or girlfriends or wives. Who knows of these kids? 
maybe some of the players are getting like pedicures and stuff. Um, there's also, I think the biggest thing is that the money came from a lot of times we hear about boosters doing it. You know, when Miami got in trouble 20 years ago, Nevin Shapiro was just a rich booster. Throwing, this time it was actually, it was the coach. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt and his wife are spending money out of their own pocket to get these kids to come to school. And the kicker in all this, of course, is that despite cheating like that, getting caught, Jeremy Pruitt still was under 500 at Tennessee. He was 16 and 19 overall. They were 10 and 16 in the SEC. Imagine how they would have done if he wasn't cheating. They were still bad. So Tennessee and the people named in the report have 90 days to respond to the allegations, and then the NCAA enforcement staff then have 60 days to reply to those responses. So we have potentially another five months of this thing. And we knew it was coming. Jeremy Pruitt got fired in part because of it two years ago. And Tennessee believes they'll be let off the hook a little bit because they've kind of been up front with all this. They took action. They fired the coaches, yada, yada, yada. Uh, But 13 players, accounting for 124 combined games during Pruitt's tenure, were named in the report. Tennessee could potentially uh, vacate all of those wins for um, Jeremy Pruitt. Here was... Paul Feinbaum with his two cents on uh, this news coming out. We were waiting for it. We knew something was coming. We didn't know the exact details, but now we do. Here's what Feinbaum had to say about the uh, latest scandal at Tennessee. Let's just cut right to the chase. So Tennessee has now confirmed the receipt of the notice of allegations. Like, really? We already know it. Um, uh, But, you know, what this is really interesting is, and I I have not heard any of this, but I was told by somebody in, in Atlanta, that Jeremy Pruitt was showing up on podcasts. Uh, he was clearly trying to, you know, win his good name back. It's well known that Saban loves him, and so do other people. He's an outstanding defensive coordinator. But you would have to think the odds of him getting back into college football now are going to be uh, uh, a rather steep climb. Uh, whatever happened to uh, Pruitt's attorney? Remember, remember the guy threatening all these uh, massive lawsuits? He was going to burn the house down. Well, it looks like uh, Jeremy Pruitt's house is the one in jeopardy at the moment fine i'm talking about the tennessee uh, i don't know if we could call them allegations but just uh, the report on the things tennessee was doing wrong yeah i could see uh, pruitt certainly forget about somebody even giving him an opportunity i mean really the nca probably should give him a show clause this is what i've always said if you want to try to reduce this cheating and now it's not as big of an issue because of name image likeness but if you ever wanted to reduce it just threaten all the coaches that if they ever get caught that's it they're done they can never coach college sports again and so if you want to cheat that's fine but you're putting your livelihood your career on the line so we have this case with jeremy pruitt it should be a show clause like you're done you can't coach anywhere in college football again we caught you cheating and again the big difference is a lot of times it's boosters and the coach tries to plead ignorance oh i didn't know that was going on they were doing that behind my back even if there's like uh will wade on tape right talking about strong ass offers oh i had nothing to do with it in this case, like you can't plead ignorance. You're the one doing it. You and your wife are paying uh, for meals and whatever else, other benefits that they shouldn't be having. And you know we can argue whether that should be illegal or not, but they knew what they were doing. They knew it was wrong. The other part in all this we always talk about is that the NCAA waits so long to issue their punishment that you punish the wrong people. You punish players that had nothing to do with it. You punish a coaching staff that wasn't even there. So there's a potential bowl ban for Tennessee, but you know it's a different coaching staff. I assume the players are gone. Uh, it wouldn't uh, really be fair to punish these current players and Josh Heupel and what he's building at Tennessee by banning them from a potential bowl game. But that's the real kicker to me. 
I wouldn't call the situation. I don't know if I'd say it's funny, but there is like a humorous paradox in that a lot of this stuff now is you could do it a different way, but it's become legal. Just do it through name, image, likeness. And so it's like if you got caught for, I don't know, let's say speeding or maybe like marijuana, right? And as you've been waiting for your punishment or your discipline, your sentencing, meanwhile, your state like legalizes weed in the meantime. And then like your brother now did the same thing that you got in trouble for, but now it's, it's legal. And here you are about to go to court. And they're handing down your punishment because they're not going to preemptively, you know, remove those uh, the punishments from from when that was illegal. You know, same idea with speeding. If you got a speeding ticket and then they bumped up the speed limit, they're not going to retroactively go back and say, actually, you know what? Forget that uh, uh, speeding ticket because now we bumped up the speed limit. You actually weren't speeding. No, at the time you still were. Right at the time it was still illegal. But since it's taken so long. For the NCAA to get to this point, and it's going to take another probably at least five months, it's like, man, Tennessee is going to be punished. And then you look over here, and Texas A&M is paying X number of dollars for their number one recruiting class. And Saban's talking about the $3 million his guys made, and Kirby Smart, yada, 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 and all these guys. And Tennessee's going to be sitting here like, oh, man. As they say, right, timing's everything in life. You're going to get punished for something you did, rightfully so. It was illegal at the time. But now... Your competitors are going to be kind of doing the same thing, but they're able to do it legally. While you're waiting for trial on, like, drug charges, well, now suddenly uh, the state changed the rules. What you did then was illegal. It isn't now. And now, like, your brother or your friend's doing the same thing you got in trouble for, but they don't have to worry about being punished. Like, Man, this really stinks. And it doesn't mean what you did wasn't wrong, but it's just it shows the changing of the time that I guess you could say Jeremy Pruitt was before his time. If only he waited a couple more years. Could have done a lot of this stuff under the uh, the guise of name, image, and likeness and gotten away with it. Now Tennessee is going to be punished, and uh, Josh Heupel is going to be sitting there saying, number one, I wasn't even here when it happened. Number two, we're getting punished for this when other teams now can, can do this to beat us legally. In regards to Jeremy Pruitt, the other thing that Feinbaum mentioned, I did want to say this uh, because, uh, as he said, he was going on podcasts, yada, yada, yada. I did see Jeremy Pruitt went on a podcast at this point maybe a month or two ago, and I, I it was the first time I've actually seen him speak publicly since getting fired from Tennessee. And on the podcast, in the interview, he said, yeah, I think I'm going to take some time off away from football for myself this year. Last year, he worked as a, an analyst for the Giants. Then the Giants made a coaching change. I'm sure that lost Pruitt his job, but you know, it, uh, Joe Judge did not bring him to New England. No one else has given him an opportunity this offseason. And I always say this about college coaches. If you ever want to know which team is going to get in trouble next, look at the coach movement. Uh, Pete Carroll jumped to the Seahawks just before USC got punished. Chip Kelly jumped to the Eagles just before Oregon got punished. If you ever wonder, like, why is that guy leaving college to go to the NFL? Probably because they know something's coming. So Jeremy Pruitt was in the NFL last year with the Giants, loses his job. He's been out of football now for this upcoming season. He doesn't have a job. And in this interview I saw, he said, yeah, I think I'm just going to you know, sit out a year. I imagine Pruitt knew what was coming. I'm sure other people in the football world knew what was coming, and they didn't want to touch him. And he phrases it as, yeah, I'm just going to take time for myself and sit out for a year and regroup a year from now, when really I think he is a little untouchable for the moment. That may change a year or two from now. But I think nobody wanted to hire him having this news come out with him on your staff, whether that's college or the NFL. If he was still on the staff of the Giants, eh, it's not a great look. This known cheater is on your staff. Even though it's not the college ranks, even though there's no recruiting, still, uh, it's not a great look to hire somebody who got fired for essentially cheating, doing things they weren't supposed to. 
And schools, the coaches, the football circles always know this stuff before we find out about it. I think he is a little bit of an untouchable, right? Saban could have brought him back as an analyst like he does with a lot of his coaches. And he didn't because uh, he was in the SEC. I think they, they knew what he's done, and they don't really want him on staff right now. So as Feinbaum said, uh, he doesn't think Pruitt would coach again at the college ranks. I could see that certainly for the foreseeable future, but I also think he shouldn't have the option. Put a show clause on him. He's done. Can't come back to college. Go coach in the NFL if you want. But that's the, the risky run. If you cheat, sorry, you're done. However, again, the uh, somewhat comical paradox is now teams can do that without any repercussions. Tennessee, you were just a couple years too early. We'll wrap up your Monday. We come back. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Wrapping up your Monday on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on the man. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcast. Podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there and click on our show page. And uh, while there, you can uh, take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Find the podcast online or stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. You can also stream the show through TuneIn Radio or your smart speaker or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store and through the app. You can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least eight different states and multiple countries on this Monday as we kickstart another week. As we mentioned earlier, football right around the corner. Unless you're a fan of the CFL. I watched a little CFL yesterday. Love Canadian football. But otherwise... Training camps are beginning. The Hall of Fame game is next week. College football, I think it's uh, Nebraska, opens up their camp tomorrow. So camps are here. We're heading towards August. Football's right around the corner. It's an exciting time. Tomorrow on the show, we got plenty to do. We're going to talk about Mike Sando. We've had him on the show to, to discuss it in the past. He always puts together a great article on The Athletic with a bunch of GMs, anonymous GMs, ranking quarterbacks in different tiers. We'll touch on that tomorrow. Plus, We'll look ahead to the trade deadline of Major League Baseball, which is a week from tomorrow. I think people in baseball are doing it all wrong, but that's just me. We'll get to that tomorrow. And we'll even talk a little golf. Jeremy Schilling will join us tomorrow as opposed to Wednesday. We'll get to that tomorrow. Plenty else to do on the show tomorrow as well. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always find it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. In the meantime, life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio.